Hola, hola Charlito. Charlito. Hola Charlie. Hey Charlie. Okay, Charlie. Is your name Charles? It's Charlie, not Charles. We have here the writer, the founder of the Dominican Writers, community activist, Angie Abreu. Yes. Angie Abreu, how's it going? I'm good, Charlie. Thank you for having me. Of course, thank you for being here. I know you're pretty busy um, with, with family. With uh, well, actually, you just told me that your child is is away for now, so yeah. you're like you're kind of enjoying what's left of the summer. The last time I saw you was uh, at a protest, yes. right? A protest that you helped organize. Yes. A protest that you made a call to action, and you were like, "Look, we got to do something." You know, we don't know how to protest, but we got to do something. We got to take to the streets. We have to change the narrative. I know you were hurt when um, that happened in Dykeman, where where it was publicated that, you know, Dominicans weren't in support of black lives. And, and you organized. So, you know, I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for organizing all of us. And then even on that day, you know, we still weren't sure if we were going to protest. Right. And, you know, there was a vigil. And, you know, shout out to, to, to Julio Casado and, um, and Angel Vasquez, uh, Fraternity Brothers, um, and also uh, Lewis, right? Um, you know, we did the vigil, and then we were there. And um, people came through, even though we canceled the, Even though we canceled the protest. For, you know, organizational reasons, we wanted to set up a, a better system to protect a already vulnerable community. Right. Um, I think the night before, we had the Bronx protests where a lot of stuff popped off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we were just oh, like, yeah. oh, we do not want that to happen right. Right. uptown. Exactly. Um, and even though we canceled the protests, a lot of the young folks uptown said we still coming through. Yeah. And they don't know you looked what at me. you looked at me and you were like, Charlie, I think we're about to really hit the streets right now. And yeah. I was like, yo, the people are leading. The people are leading. They want to protest and let's do it. So we just followed the people. After you finished that vigil. <laughs> but it wasn't just the people. We called our community organizers uptown. Right. To lead that protest at last minute. Mm. You know, mm. even though we had canceled, we made our phone calls and we were right. like, look, they ain't trying to leave. Right. Right. They so, want to they want to protest. So um, come through and let's lead the people uptown. Right. Right. And that happened. And we did that in the rain in the pouring oh, rain. It was biblical. I, I think that I felt like that rain was just trying to wipe us out. Uh, I think at some point you had like a plastic bag over your head. Yeah. You know, just trying mm-hmm. to stay dry. But um, and then we we walked all the way up to Dykeman. Yeah, that we experience on was so empowering. Um, because that's where um, the other brother was killed. Dominican um, brother yeah. from cops, right? Well, yeah, you know, um, Felix. This is Alan Felix. Alan Felix. That's right. he was killed in the Bronx right. um, by police officers who even stripped him naked, mm. um, dragged him out the car, and after they shot him and stripped him naked for to this day we don't know why. Right. But um, he lived there. 
on 189th and we pass by to you know, show our respects to show our respects right. and from then from there we went up to Dykeman in the Dwayne Reed parking lot to where the whole uh, <laughs> fiasco the occurred that made Twitter <laughs> right right yes yes that made Dominican Twitter go off right. Dominican Twitter black Twitter everyone went off when they saw that video yeah yeah and then you know you felt and you know and I as well felt that we had a responsibility to, to make it known that, no, Dominicans, um, especially Dominicans in Washington Heights and indictment, we are for Black Lives Matter. Let's yeah. not get that confused. I, I do want to be clear because I did get feedback from people that were like, oh, you know, you just doing this protest is, is performative. And I have people in my DM saying that. And my response is, you don't know who I am. Right. Because before I was the founder of Dominican Writers, I was an activist. Mm. I was out on these streets. Right. I was out working with nonprofit organizations and consulting with nonprofits here and in DR. Like, that's my base. Right. So for those people who just know me off of Dominican Writers, they have no idea that when Ferguson happened, I was out there protesting as well. Wow. See, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, you know, people don't know those things about me because they, they only know what they see online and I'm not the type of person that is showing off and tell you I'm doing this or I'm doing that right. like I'm pretty sure people right now are saying oh you know the protest died down she's probably not doing anything right but that's not it that's not it you know you 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 created momentum and look um the community itself you know when I, I remember seeing older folks that were just looking at the protests and people and seeing these young people like passionate and you know we're talking about a diverse crowd here mm -hmm. like and i'm sure it, it left a, a stamp on the people that were looking out the windows on these like older dominican entrepreneurs that you know can be somewhat conservative mm -hmm. um and it really I, I really do feel in my heart that it opened many eyes you know one of the reasons why i wanted to have you here is because i always found you to be a gem to the community and i always told you this you know, face to face, you know, so I just wanted to give you your flowers while, you know, no one's Thank trying you. to be morbid here, right? I appreciate that. You know, and, and many experiences in life have, have, have taught me to like do that. And, you know, because, uh, you know, I've had experiences where I've had close relatives die. On, you know, on me and not to get all, all heavy early on in this pro you know, in this podcast. But, um, you know, you always wish that you would have had another opportunity to tell them how much they meant to you. So, yeah. So I'm here. I'm grateful that you're here. How are you Thank doing you. with COVID? I'm surviving. Yeah. En la lucha, como mm. decimos nosotros. Surviving. El trabajo, work, work is okay. Um, I am home. teleworking three times a week and the other two days I'm in the, I'm commuting to the office. Um... But thankfully, everyone in my family has been safe. I mean, my mom and I are the only ones left in Upper Manhattan. My brother was living in Fort Lee, and when COVID hit, he decided to give up his apartment and move to, um, <laughs> oh my God, I forget where he moved in, upstate New York. Really? And then the other one lives in Connecticut. Really? Good for them. Yeah. He, like he so just, many others are left in New York. Yes, yes. Um, a, a lot of, a, a big population of the city has left. Right, right. You know, and, and obviously those that are, 
blessed in that regard mm-hmm. can actually leave. Yeah. Unfortunately, so many were forced to stay right. and deal with the pandemic in the Heights, yeah. you know, as or in the Bronx, you know, while they were trying to figure it out. Some people had to stay because they're, you know, their jobs, because they had essential service positions. Right. And some people just couldn't afford to, to, yeah. to leave. So you're um, in a very privileged position and yeah, you're able to just pick up and leave. Just pick up, you know, just me being away from New York, not away, but like in New Jersey, I, you know, I also acknowledge my privilege mm-hmm. in, in, in not being, you know, with such a dense population. Yep. And, you know, because all of that brings anxiety. Yeah. People deal with the pandemic differently. People are not around. Mm-hmm. Uh, people that support them, like family members. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people got divorced during quarantine. Or, or a lot of people were about trying to get divorced. Or trying to right. get divorced. Because the courts have been opened, yeah. <laughs> I had to stay together, living listen, in that same space. Listen, Angie, <laughs> you know, because uh, I, do, I do mostly criminal defense. But early on in my career, I, I learned how to do matrimonial law and when I tell you I got phone calls like maybe the first two months I got about six phone calls of of people that wanted to get divorced and I was like well you're gonna have to wait because the courts are closed and uh, you either can move out and go somewhere what was the reason for divorce no they they realized that they didn't like their spouse because they're spending time with them because they're spending time with them you know sometimes you know (laughs) It, it makes me think that people really use their jobs as a way to get away from their spouse. Yes, I'm like, what? What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, roommates getting into fights because, you know, all of a sudden people are home. Yeah. And, and, you know, and you're face to face with someone it makes that you me, may not Now like. that you mention that, it makes me think about all those people that um, rentan cuarto. Oh. Right? Like, I know my friend's mom who lives upstairs, she rents a room. Mm. And I could just imagine, and I, I, and I would say to my friend, I was like, "Look, si tu mamá necesita cualquier cosa, let me know," because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can only imagine. I don't know who's living with her, but I could just imagine that at some point it gets really weird. Yeah, it gets weird, especially if you're older um, and you already feel that you're vulnerable. Yes. You know, anxiety, and then you watch the news and you hear about all these deaths. Yes, yes. Um, it, it was a pretty scary time. And also, not being able to hug your loved well, Washington ones. Washington Heights was hit pretty hard. Yeah, I saw, I saw. Washington Heights, the Bronx got Even hit really hard. a lot of our people think it's a hoax. <sighs> They're on the streets playing dominoes and groups and Thank barbecuing and doing all kinds of stuff on the, on the streets. And it's like, what pandemic? I had gone in the middle of the pandemic. I had to go pick up uh, some paperwork from a client in the Bronx uh, by Webster Avenue. And uh, I was disturbed by what I saw. And um, and we're talking about, you know, that specific neighborhood. I think it was the South Bronx. Webster's the South Bronx, from yeah. what I understand. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's not like you have the resources to, to you know, get better. Um, or to, right. to go to like these private hospitals that have space for you. Yeah. You know, there was talks on TV about choosing which person is going to live or die, you know, and how, how, why would you want to place so much faith right. on other people deciding whether you get to get a ventilator or not? Mm-hmm. And the fact that you're out there without a mask, without knowing the specifics yeah. of, of what you need to do to protect yourself, and you're out there just risking your life and risking other people's lives. You know, some some people live with like their mothers and, yeah. you know, relatives. And it was just it was very triggering for me. Really upset. I, I have a nephew um, that uh, has, uh, you know, that's dealing with some stuff. 
Um, and he's one of those staunch believers that, uh, you know, no one should tell him that he needs to wear a mask and that he believes it's a hoax. Wow. And, and I, you know, I told him, I was like, listen. What evidence does he have to prove that? Well, you know. I don't know. He, I, I think he he enrolled in YouTube Is University. He a Trump supporter. He's not. He's he's more of a YouTube conspiracy theorist supporter, mm. and you know he's a graduate from YouTube University, mm. um, and uh, you know so yeah he got caught I up in that. And, and I told him I was like, listen, if you get your mother, who I have deep affection for, if you get her sick, you and I are are going to have real problems. If you get sick, that's something else. But if she gets sick, right. You and I are going to have real issues. But anyway, so um, going back to the protest, you also, because that week I had to leave. Yeah. Wasn't there another protest that you were part of? Yes. So we canceled the first one because we went and said, you know, systems in place to protect um, people in case anything popped off. Of course. We postponed it to the following Sunday. But the following Sunday, what people didn't know is that we got together with about 30 organizations from Uptown and um, El Barrio to start the protest from 167 and um, St. Nicholas Avenue down to 111th Street and Young Lord's Way. Mm. So we were about 2,500 deep. Wow. Eight blocks long with the police escorting us. Good. Um, and everything worked out. There was and no... everything worked out wonderfully. The community came through you know, donating masks. They would, once they found out the route, they would stop at certain intersection of the route to give out food mm. and water. Good. You know, just the community supporting everyone that was right. that was marching down. It, it, was, it was beautiful. Right. You know what I also saw, you know, and I have to be, you know, uh, clear and honest about this because people think that uh, just because you have a, a certain position, you can't appreciate when, when someone does the right thing. And again, you know, I, I've had uh, a good friend of mine, Sergeant De La Mota, come on the episode and, and pretty much give us his, his perspective on the NYPD. And uh, and I told him um, the, the protest that I did go to, I mean, the vigil that mm-hmm. ended up becoming a protest, um, the cops were there and they ensured that it was going to be safe and you know and they were there helping us both times it was both times so you know shout out to those good officers that that made sure that they protected us and and then also protected you the second time around so my question to you is we're going through some unprecedented times and you put yourself out there do you feel that you have a responsibility to do so i know you have a background of being a community activist um, but you're also a mother, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you have a lot to lose. You have a job, um, a, a career, not a job, a career. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people look up to you. Um, why Why do you think you you that is a responsibility that you have to bear? That's who I am to my core, Charlie. Um, if I have information, if I have a means to help you, and I'm going to do that. Mm. Like... That that's and I don't know. I, I'm just sometimes I just feel that I can't just sit down and not be part of the solution mm. and just wait for the next person, you know, to get it together and do it themselves. Um, yo me activo rápido. I'm, I'm like, yo, we got to do something. Mm. I know for a fact that Uptown stands with black lives. Mm. I know that for a fact that these people are, are my friends. I, I've lived most of my life uptown. 
I know who my community is, and we do. Yeah, you sometimes you have people who don't know how to express it, or who or you know are just becoming conscious about the movement and about right. Black lives and about how to identify with their own blackness. Yes, we definitely have Dominicans that are like that. I'm not going to say no. But we also have a huge majority of us who lives here, Dominican-Americans in the diaspora, that we identify as black. Mm. And when people say the contrary, that doesn't sit right with me. Right. For me, also the the George Floyd, the Breonna Taylor, the, the it, it, that was super triggering for me. Um, it brought me back to the Mike Brown mm. times, and and again, just sometimes you feel like, yeah, we've been protesting all this time, nothing has happened. What's the point? Right. You know, you 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 feel like what's the point of me getting up and joining an, a yet another protest that's not going to yield any results? Right. But you just we, have to do something. We have to do something. I remember I remember hearing your voice. You know, as we as we zoomed, while you know we were trying to organize to to do that first protest, and 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 you were very honest about it. You was like, look, I don't know if this is going to bear results, but we have to do something. And we have to do it now. And I, I, I gathered my community. Right. I gathered mi gente, my right. people that I knew were going to be, who are about it and who would support it. And I was, and I said, Let, let's do this. And it yielded results, right? Like 58 was repealed. You know, <sighs> a, a few things. Brianna Taylor's, you know, no murderers haven't been, right. you know. Arrested yet. Uh, arrested yet, but we hope to get there soon. Right. It, it takes baby steps. Yeah. So yeah change, and that's what, and that's what a lot of people don't not, understand. Change is never going to come overnight. Right. Never. Right. Especially when, when you're you have with an, the government. It, when you have an entire nation working together towards one cause, change is, is going to come faster. Right. Yeah, it's, and, and it's inevitable as long as you stick to the script. And I also wanted to remember, remind my neighborhood that we're not exempt from police brutality. We're definitely not. Listen, like, I had my own situations with police officers, and I think, you know, I've shared that with you in the past. Um, and, and for those reasons, I was triggered. Yeah. And also, as a criminal defense attorney, I've, I've seen many false arrests. I've seen some clients uh, get, uh, you know, just mistreated by police officers. Yeah. You would think that, oh... You know, they probably did something. Right. No, uh, right. some of them didn't. Or some of them didn't have the... Some of them were having a bad day. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, as civilians, we can't afford to have a bad day. Yeah. But police officers can have a bad day. Yeah. And it's not to say that we don't have bad apples on both sides. But you know what? Whenever there's black-on-black crime, whenever there's brown-on-brown crime, dudes get held accountable. You see a lot of long sentences. You mm-hmm. see them going away for a long time. Yeah. But when the police officers do that, what happened? With Amo, with Amadou Diallo, what happened to mm-hmm. those officers? You know, they found a way to change the jurisdiction of that case. And they, they took it to Albany where the jury pool did not reflect the Bronx. And obviously, for whatever reason, they did not convict. So we have a history of not holding police officers accountable. That's just one example. So that is what people need to realize while we're upset. We're not saying that we're all perfect. We're not saying that black and black crime is not an issue. Brown and brown crime is not an issue. We're saying that an officer should not be exempt from the same laws that they're they're trying to enforce and and abide, right? So stepping away from that, because we could talk about that 
Yeah. Forever. And, you know, and I also don't want to get that trigger. I'm not in the mood to get that triggered, right? <laughs> but um, so I know you founded the organization uh, mainly because you felt there was a lack of space for Dominican writers to showcase their work. Uh, but before I get there, I want to ask you, did you grow up reading yes. books? Okay. Yes, I did. Really? How, how early yes. on did you start reading so I, did. I, I will tell you that I am the only daughter among two boys and mm. the oldest. So growing up, I always felt alone because my brothers had each other. I was a girl. I was not into what my brothers were into. We didn't spend, even though we lived in the same household, we didn't spend a lot of time um, together um, as siblings. So books were my escape. Mm. And I could tell you sixth grade. Um, a scholastic book fair came to my middle school um, and I saw these books <laughs> and I, I remember just going through the aisles and, and reading the book covers and, and I was so interested in, in, what, in this world that you could, you know, dive into and right. that was it for me. Really? That was it for me and, and I was also a very quiet child, and I remember my mom would say that whenever I was quiet it was and, and she wouldn't hear me is because I was somewhere reading. Right. So I devoured books when, really? I was, when I was a kid. So when you say you were a kid, like what, how age? How old? Well, there, middle school, sixth grade. Really? Good for you. Sixth because grade. I didn't. And I, I should, I should have, because in mind, in my mind, I was all over the place. It's a lot. Um, the statistics are a lot higher for boys. That they you know, don't pick listen, up look, books. first of all, it wasn't, you know, and I'm not trying to put the blame on anyone. It wasn't a part of my household. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. None of my friends were reading. Mm -hmm. um, also, I had the Sega Genesis on blast. Right. Uh, I was also in, in sports, right? And forget it. Once I started thinking about girls, it was over for me. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and I started thinking about girls you know, really early on. You I'm know that about black 12, and brown 13. communities is very difficult for us to get our hands on books. Um, if you are privileged, you can afford a book. My mother never purchased a book for me. Mm. But I had a library two blocks from my house, thankfully. And I spent a lot of time in the library. Really? Um, you know what? I, I should question because I think my sister always did better than me in school, um, you know, early on. And uh, she was always, like, in her room. I should ask her whether she read early, because she is well-read. Um, but I'm wondering if, if gender played a role in that, because I was out and about. And, and she was aware, you know, I, I did find some books that she read that I was like, did you read this? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, when? I never saw you. And I was like, well, you know, I had a you room. You were in your Sega Genesis. Yeah, I was in my Sega Genesis. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, you know, but it's, it makes sense because I love my sister dearly. Um, but when I reflect back, we didn't really have a real relationship. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even know what she was doing. Yeah. You know, I remember the first real conversation I had with her, the first time I actually asked her how she was doing, uh, was when she went away to school and she was in Penn State. And How old were you? I was like 20. It was wow. like 19, 20. And I called her and I said, how are you doing? And she probably thought you were the weirdest person in the world. And it was a weird conversation. The she was like, what is wrong with the this The first guy? time my brother asked me that, we got into this full-blown argument. Really? Because because why? You felt that he was coming I, from someone being nosy, he was trying to get you in no, trouble? No, 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 no. I felt that 
it was like my whole life flashed me by. <laughs> like everything that I've been through, like in relationships or friendships or just just things that I should have had my brother there for. Oh, so you were like, now you're coming exactly. to the table? Exactly. Wow. That's exactly the conversation he and I had. That's interesting. And I was just so pissed off when he asked me that. I was like, what? Yeah. You're asking me what? <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't the and, best brother also. And, and I think that after we had that conversation is when he realized that yeah. he wasn't there. Yeah. Um, and he he makes up for it now. You right. know, anytime I need something like the other day, I was like, come out my TV. And he came and mounted my TV. Um, and he think both of them are like that now. But when me growing up, I, I was resentful. Interesting. I was resentful. Damn, I guess I guess it starts. So, yeah, start it starts having more combos with your sister. I know. Listen, I think I think I've 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 made up for okay. all those times, and I you know, and I think I do feel a role. Now you're a, a Theo, so do a I'm lot a of babysitting. Hell, you know, even though I need to ask her how she's doing as opposed to how the baby's doing mm-hmm. more often. Um, but but yeah, her and I we've had many conversations before. Um, I'm not going to put her on blast, but I remember the first time that uh, she was like inebriate in mm-hmm. front of me and I looked at her and I was like you know and I've been around a lot of drunk people before I, myself you know obviously I pledged a fraternity you know there were days where right. I, couldn't, I couldn't tell you what my name was mm-hmm. and I was like what's going on I don't know this person and it was at that point I was like yeah, I you need realize, to have real conversations with this person that's when you realize your sister has her own identity her own identity and you know what and I love her enough to know to want to know more um and, and yeah, my what brother, I've discovered I have, was I have one brother that is like super curious. Like he mm-hmm. goes in that sometimes my mare, I'm like, okay, wait, hold off on the questioning. Mm-hmm. Cause he wants when he sees me, he wants to know every single thing that I'm doing, what's going on with Dominican writers, everything. I mean you are doing dope shit, so people obviously <laughs> not only yeah, your brother but wants he's, to know. he's a little bit too he's a little bit too much. But yeah, back to the conversation of reading, you know, reading is a priv- is for the privileged. Mm. And even now for you to get books into school, my son doesn't have books like that available in his school, but I'm a reader. And mm. if I need to spend $50 on a book, I don't care. You know, because I have an appreciation for books. But like I remind my child all the time, you are you you are in a privileged position because sometimes he doesn't understand why kids get excited over things that he has in abundance. Right. Right. And I have to explain to him that he's privileged. Right. Right. That there are going to be kids who get excited over an iPad, but you've had yours since you were four, Mm. you know, Um and uh, and things like books and whatever he'll ask me to get him books and I'll buy him the whole box set or or whatnot and and he's because that's normal to him but growing up that wasn't normal for us no, and wasn't. also in the Dominican culture there there isn't a culture of reading There's like no. you'll see our parents maybe our dads reading the paper but that's it that's it that's it you there, never there's more of a culture of a storytelling yes. Or- you know, yes. because there's so much cheese yes. but but there's never like of the written work right you I never saw my mom pick up a book I never saw my my stepdad or even you know my biological father is an academic as well but and I've besides he he's a lawyer in the DR but besides law books mm-hmm. I never saw him reading 
stories or whatever. Like there isn't a culture of reading in right. in with Dominicans. Yeah, and that's that why I think that's why I think the work that you're doing is so important because I do think that you know as a culture we're so vibrant, we're so smart, we're so ambitious. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you know we we don't stay stagnant as a right. people. Right. And and what and what books does you know what it did to me it saved my life mm-hmm. it changed my life and um and i would i, I want to see a world or, or a community where we encourage one another to read more to experience yeah. other people's experiences without you experiencing it yourself because mm-hmm. that's what brings perspective yes, you know and so that we can step out of this tribal thinking yeah. but um so okay so you grew up reading books but did you grow up reading books from Dominican writers? Absolutely not. Really? not oh, okay, even, I was about to say. Not, not, even, like, not even Latino writers. Okay. I didn't read Latino authors, let alone Dominican authors, until I graduated college. Mm. Until my last semester of college. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I started reading when I got to college. Um, I was in Buffalo, um, you know, seven hours away from the city. It was cold. Um, there wasn't anything to do but take classes, so I just picked up some books. Um, thankfully, I had fraternity brothers who took great pride in regurgitating quotes from their favorite authors. Mm-hmm. Um, so that exposed me to the appreciation of, of arts, um, or, or maybe I just wanted to be a bit egotistical and, mm-hmm. and show them that I know a little bit more than them and whatever they're women you know, like talking men about. who read books too, Charlie. Listen, listen, you don't. <laughs> you want a you want a good pickup line? Read some books. <laughs> but you know, you know what? And that's another story. You know, and, and we'll get into that. And we'll get into that. But um, so but I remember that there was this one fraternity brother, and um, I'm not going to name any details uh, for the purposes of protecting the pledge process <laughs> of my fraternity. But this dude had me one time as I was trying to get into the fraternity, right? I wasn't a fraternity brother yet. And he had me meet him at 7 o'clock in the morning uh, to secretly hand me a briefcase. And um, he treated this briefcase as if he had, like, something dangerous, like if, if, if there was, like, a bomb inside, right? And, 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 and for him, you know, it might as well be because... It was it was done in such dramatic fashion, and he told me not to tell anybody. <laughs> and he told me that what he was giving me had the so had was the this power. in the alley. You were exchanging one briefcase to one hand to another, and this really is suspect. This, <laughs> this is right outside of a classroom that was going to start at seven seven fifteen in the morning, and. My class, that was his class. His class was starting at 7.15. My class, I'm not an early riser. Mm-hmm. My classes were always in the afternoon. And, um, and he told me, he was like, what I have here is, gonna, is going to give you secret powers. Wow. Now, you could either use it for good or use it for bad. Damn. He was like, but <laughs> I have faith in you that this knowledge that I'm giving you right now, you're going to use it for good. And I was like, what the fuck is... What the fuck is this guy giving me? Some of your psychedelic drugs or something. Dude, listen, listen, <laughs> listen. And at the time, I had not read. I have not read any books. Like, you know, uh, my high school used to give us books to to read for the summer. Yeah, that was lame. Yeah. You know, and I was and like, then you had to give those back. I had, you that had was to give them back. You know, and um, look, I would find ways to get the book report done right mm-hmm. without reading the book. Yeah, um, sure. <laughs> so. You know what was in the briefcase, Joe Charlie. So you know it was it was all right. So what were the two books? He gave me two books, 
But again, I was like 18, and I was like, yo, just give me the damn books. Like, what are you talking about, <laughs> like, why bro? are you being so dramatic? You know, and, and, you know, and the culprit, Rick, what's up? Para siempre, my brother. You know, you were in law school, so, you know, I'm going to cut you some slack. You were probably under intense pressure, right? He's always been very militant. Um, but the books that he gave me were, which now I know them as somewhat of hood classics, mm-hmm. uh, 48 Laws of Power. Okay. Um, and you're probably going to hate me for this one, The Art of Seduction. Wow. Both written by Robert Greene. But very important books. Very important books. Listen, listen. I, I maneuvered. I, I. Forty-eight laws of power. Come on. I maneuvered many ways in my life out of out of very sticky situations because mm-hmm. I understood how to evaluate intentions or how people try to convince or manipulate yep. others for a certain thing. Mm-hmm. So those books came in handy, especially at that time. But um, but as far as Dominican writers, do you read Latino authors? So I did in the beginning. I read the uh, damn. I'm kind of ashamed to even say it. <laughs> shit. What did you read? Oh, I ain't shit for this. Um, <laughs> guess what my first book was? Men are from Mars. No, women are from Venus. Worse, worse than that. It was uh, and it wasn't even in English. Job? It was in Spanish. <laughs> what was it? It was um, uh, a book written by Pablo Clase. And the book was about Porfirio Rubirosa. Oh. El primer playboy del yes. mundo. The first international yes. playboy. So, you know, I also name, read it in Spanish. Of, so what was the name of the book? It was, uh, it was called um, Porfirio Rubirosa. El primer playboy de, de, del so mundo. it was a, a bio about him. It was a bio about him. And, um, and, you know, the author was Dominican. And it was in Spanish. So... For for some Where weird reason, for some weird reason, um, I was determined to know about this man, right? But I found it, you know, where at home, in my own house, and you know why? So apparently, he was from San Francisco de Macorís, yeah. mm-hmm. and he was friends with my father, oh. who was from San Francisco de Macorís. Now, my son, and my father was from that era. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people don't know. But my father was born, you know, he passed away when I was six. Yeah. He was born in 1926. Mm. My father, wow. if he would have been alive right now, he would have been, what, 92, 93? I've never been good at math. What? He was 24 years older than my mom. So oh, that's problematic right there. Yeah, but. super problematic. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure he has some Porfirio Rubirosa in vibes in yeah. him, right? Um, so I found the book. And I was like, oh, I'm going to read this, you know, because uh, it applies to, you know, uh, wow. the lifestyle, unfortunately, that I wanted to live at that time. Yeah. Right. Just, so I'm pretty sure he got that book from DR. Oh, yeah, for sure. I have it here. I can I can I can show sure. it to you before you leave. That book is a treasure, Charlie. Yeah. Um, you know, what other Dominican writers have I read? Because I haven't read too many. I read your book. Uh, I have no room for the for the broken with with captures very nicely and vividly the minute the the many different stages of love and heartbreak. Mm-hmm. You know what did what did that book do for you when you published it? Was it therapeutic? Did you? Um, oh wow, Charlie! It's a whole story behind that. Um, so these were. Poems. It doesn't deal with relationships, right? It just deals with. <laughs> So this this book was just a compilation of all the poetry that I had written um, in my 20s. Yo era muy enamorada. Mm. Like, I'm like that, like a hopeless romantic. Um, right. That's just who I am. Um, and I, I was, like, always in love. I was always in a relationship with somebody. Mm. Um, 
And I also had many heartbreaks and many, um, and the, you know, many things happened to me in relationships that ended up in that book. Right. You know, I didn't name anyone, but if anyone reads it, maybe they'll feel themselves identified. <laughs> you have a PhD, right? With some of the pieces. You have a PhD, right? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. But, um, you know, hey, never don't date a writer if you don't want to be written about. I've always said that. I've always said that. Like, uh, You're going to make it into something. <laughs> you're going to make it into something. Listen. Um, but, you know, I also read J.P. Infante's uh, short essay, yeah. um, which I really liked. Uh, I also pre-ordered his new book, On the Tip of Your Mother's right. Tongue. I like JP a lot, and I thank you uh, because you were the the nexus. You were the one that pretty much connected us. You know, like the first time I met him was when he came to the podcast, yeah. and you know he's he's interesting. He's mm-hmm. just a dude yep. that co- <laughs> he can poeticize on any topic, yep. right? Yes, he can. He's very unique. Very, very unique. His writing is very figurative. I just let him be him. Yeah. A lot of people try to curb him or try to, you know. Yeah, I think he he expressed a little bit of that on the on, on, on the, the podcast. podcast, right, right. But um, you know, but he's also aside from but being that's a good what writer, people love about him. Listen, too. I I you know when he came in, um, you know I was already drawn to his his whole aura. Like he was, you know, he's better. Like if you like his writing, he's actually better in person. He's mm-hmm. very animated. He's a yes. storyteller. Yes, he's a storyteller. He's um he understands vibes. You will be stuck talking, listening to him for a few hours. Yeah, yeah, and he, and he's fearless. I like yes. the fact that he's fearless. Yes. He's, he's put himself in some really yes, dangerous situations <laughs> creatively. Yes, he has, and he survived. And <laughs> that's why the first time I actually reached out to him and we had a conversation, I was like, "Yo, bro, you know they conozco. I know you're good peoples. You're 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 good with Angie. You're good in my book. But bro, I just want to give you props." For what you're doing, because what you're doing right now, especially in such, you know, in, in very sensitive times where, you know, a lot is coming out, yeah. um, especially, um, you know, issues dealing with uh, male toxic behavior, hyper masculinity, yeah. you know, the yeah. Me Too movement, rape culture. Mm-hmm. And he's been out there really yeah. uh, being that voice. Yeah. He texted me when he was doing before he started doing those things and he told me about it. Like sometimes I guess I'm kind of like his soundboard and he'll run it by me to make sure it's not too crazy. Right. But I'm just but it's always I, crazy. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, usually. And I'm just like, go for it. Like, yeah. Uno no puede vivir por lo que dice la gente, lo yeah. que piensa la gente. Like, yeah. it comes from a good place. And it's different. Right? You're a genuine person. Right. Whoever knows you is going to see that you're a genuine person. And to this day, yo nunca le visto malicia. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know what? And, and I told him because when I first had a conversation, I don't even think we, we got into it. I mean, we briefly got into it. But, you know, when I, when I called him and I was like, yo, bro, I just want to say... That as as someone that has always appreciated the arts, um, but never felt confident enough to pursue it full time, um, I look at you and I get inspired. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only because you're doing it, but because because of your courage. Yeah. Uh, you know, of putting yourself out there, being vulnerable, um, but also like there's so much pressure in within the Latino culture as far as man is concerned, especially the son of an immigrant. To like yeah. pursue very traditional careers, 
right? Sorry. Whether it's you know whether it's uh, becoming a doctor mm-hmm. or becoming you know becoming a lawyer, you know, and and you know, and I told him, and I read this book in Artist's Way. It talked about that many shadow artists, right? Artists that are afraid to come out, uh, turn into professions such as the law. They want to advocate mm-hmm. for something, um, but they want to do it on behalf of someone else, never on behalf mm-hmm. of themselves. Yeah. You know, so uh, I told him, yo, bro, I appreciate what you're doing. I look at you and um, and it motivates me to pursue my own craft in my own journey yeah. in, 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 in creative in a creative space. But yeah, you know, and then he, he told me, oh, yeah, but like I look at you and you're like disciplined. You work out mm-hmm. and you do this and you do that. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, bro, like you want to talk about toxic masculinity? Yeah, I'm sure. You know, I'm sure one of the reasons other than the fact that I really I'm a huge advocate for people's rights, and that's why I joined the profession. But, you know, I'm sure many of the reasons why I didn't pursue the arts was because in my mind, I was like, I needed to make money. And that was my uh, perception of what a man is supposed to be. Right. Someone that is supposed to make money, uh, uh, you know, provide for his family, and that's it. You're not supposed to work on yourself. You're not supposed to be vulnerable. Right. And, 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 you know, that... That is something that I needed to work on. Well, JP's writing has paid his rent. Yeah, yeah. While while he's doing that, but he's doing again. He's staying truth to true to himself. Like I felt like if if I was if I was born in a different time, right? Um, I probably would have embraced the arts earlier in my life, and I and I probably would have spent almost every minute of my day writing and reading. And having conversations like you and I are having um, about building, about about reimagining a better place, you know. But but capitalism was knocking on that door, you know. That immigrant experience, no, tú tienes que trabajar, tú tienes que buscar dinero, and you know, and it's like, you know what, you know, especially when we grow up in, in, in you know in the heights yeah. or whatever, you know, the pretty once girl. That, once that summer youth comes around, your parents are just like, pusita la aplicación ya. Exactly, exactly. You know, yeah, you know, my mother never. You know, my mother was a great mother, but she she was only working with what she knew. Yeah. And and again, she migrated from the Dominican Republic, and she wanted to give us a better life. And she never saw people uh, really, you know, embracing the arts and creating this right. life for herself because no, of her didn't. limited exposure, they right? Absolutely. Didn't. And also, happiness was like, like what was happiness? No, no you just yeah. work and make money, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. That's you know, so so again. You know, he was like, oh, I, you know, I respect you. And I was like, yo, bro, I respect you. And this is why. Like, you know, yes, it may take courage to, like, for you to go to law school and discipline and all that. Yeah. But it takes discipline and courage for you to say, you know what? Forget what society is telling me to do. Forget what my culture is telling me to do. Forget the fact that the pretty girl that I'm into um, is, in, in, is in a VIP section and someone is splurging on her. And, you know, that's not my truth. I don't have to compete with that. You know, I have to like live my truth. And if that's not for me, that's not for me. Right. So, you know, it takes a lot of it takes a lot of uh, a lot of inner strength. And, you know, so I just wanted to give him his flowers while, while he was here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, another writer, Juno Diaz, mm-hmm. you know, probably to me, the most influential Dominican writer, uh, not only due to his way of, of 
how he looks at things, but how confident he is as a writer, the risk that he takes in his expression. Obviously, I identified uh, with his characters as a young mm-hmm. male. I bet you did. Dominican, <laughs> flawed and all, flawed and all. I resonated with Some his of characters. Those books were triggering. I was like, yo, but that sounds like my ex. Uh, <laughs> listen, listen, listen. And to me, I was like, yo, he's talking That's about me. <laughs> You know, he's talking about me and he's doing it in a way where, like, it's so close to home. Like, yeah. he's not corny about it. Because we all know somebody like that. That Like, yeah. the characters in his book. Juno and Julia Alvarez were one of the first Dominican writers that I read um, when I did my search on Dominican writers. Mm. Mm. Good. And, and you connected with Juno Diaz, right? I did because... Juno's writing and Julia are very different. Mm. Um, I connected with, with Juno, even though, you know, with Julia, I read how the, the Garcia girls lost their accents and it was just mainly female characters and whatnot. With Juno, it was more Americanized. It was more, you know, because, yes, I'm Dominican, but I'm also Americanized, right, you right. know? I was born in DR and I came here at three, so... You know, I'm 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 what people would say. You know, watered down Dominican, yeah, yeah. <laughs> diluted. Unjo, unjo. Yeah, diluted. Um, but Juno's, you know, with, with Juno's writing, it's very relatable. Right. You know, you you read this stuff when, and also I was like a nerd growing up, so a lot of the things that he talked about, I was just like, wow. Yeah, he was a, a he was, was a comic a book? book. Yeah, he was a comic book. Right. Nerd. I was right. like, this isn't a book. Um, and then I also realized that I could write these stories too. Yeah. Because these That's were exactly like, what he did to because me. Because these were like everyday life. Right. In in one of our Dominican homes. If you had a brother or if you were a guy or if you or if you were one of the identified with the girls that he was dating in, in his books or whatnot, it was it, it was the moment that you realize my st- stories can be written too. Right. And you felt in his writing that he didn't have to subscribe to what other people thought yes. how he should be writing. Mm-hmm. Right? Like he really spoke like with our voice. Yeah. You know, he was a vessel yeah. for our experiences. And that's why I'm always appreciative of ever having a Juno uh, Juno Diaz book in my hand, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, Drown was extremely powerful for me, especially, you know, you know, times where I was thinking that I was the only one going through certain issues. Right. And Drown was like, oh, shit, somebody else is fucked up. <laughs> I'm not the only one that's fucked up here. Somebody else is going through yeah, it. Yeah, you know? I can see that, yes. Yeah, you can see that. You can see that. No, no, not, <laughs> not with you identifying that you were fucked up, but I could, I could see how a young Dominican man yeah. would identify with, right. with his character in right. Drown. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, you know, um, and obviously the brief wondrous life of Oscar Wilde. He won a Pulitzer Prize for that. But you liked um, the only book by him that I really didn't appreciate was uh, How I Loser. This is How I Loser. You know what? That was. I was felt like, that that book. Freaking. I, I felt that that book was more like yo. Know, I just was broke up YouTube? with this person. <laughs> you know, listen. We all have ways to heal, right? <laughs> From a bad breakup, right? I'm not here trying to shame the way he healed. He but was a piece of shit in that book. Yeah, you know, 
Well, you know, but, but we're all piece of shit, you know? Yes, but it, when you read it, you you just, oh, man. you are like, piece of shit. It. Like, did he know. really, like... I know, I know. He's a work in progress, though. And, you know, and, I, and I'm sure he, he's learned from all that, you I know? I hope so. Um, but, you know, because I, shit, I sure have, you know? And um, there's so much uh, that, you know, since I've read that book... Um, I, I've evolved from that on, in many different levels, especially in relationship to how I interact with women, right? And breakups, you know, I, I can tell you, like, um, I respect everyone that I've ever been in a relationship with. And I would like to think that, um, you know, there, there's love there um, because, you know, we're, we're people, and, and we all make mistakes, you know, it, it just, it just shows, and I believe in evolution, I believe that, uh, you know, in radical forgiveness, um, I believe that, um, like, we're all full of shit, I really do believe that, I really some, believe, we all sin different, time, yes. we all sin different, People you know, you, maybe you didn't mess up yeah. in that situation, mm-hmm. but how about the, you know, how about the situation prior to that, did you mess yeah. up on that, but all of a sudden, the tables turn on you, yeah. You know, there were many situations where, you know, I did wrong to someone, but, you know, I turn around, there was a situation that that I felt that I was, you know, slighted, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's, that's the way the world works. And I feel like we're all trying to, you know, just figure it out. You know, look, Dominican culture, when it comes to raising young men, you know, I never heard any of my aunts tell my sister, esa, esa va a romper mucho corazón, Right. But, you know, for me, it was like, Charlie, don't, you know, don't settle, you know, play the field. You know, I remember when I was and I and I spoke about this with uh, JP Infante. Um, I remember when I was I was like maybe, uh, you know, just like third or fourth grade, uh, maybe even fifth. And, and I was on the phone with this yeah, young I remember this young girl. And my yeah. mother was like. You know, so I was getting it from all angles. You know, that's why I feel like, okay, like we have to sometimes meet people where they're at and then help them evolve from there. But um, all right. So we'll we'll, we'll get back to Juno. I read Lorraine Avila's book, Malcriada. I really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed it. I hope that she uh, makes it in Spanish. Yes. In which, you know, maybe that's Mm -hmm. in the plans. Okay, good. (laughs) Um, So I also read... Jose Novas. Have you heard of him? Mm-hmm. Jose Novas. He's like an older dude. Um, he's from like West New York. He's like a historian. And um, what does he write about? He wrote about, there was one book that he wrote about President and General Ulysses Hero. You know, so when I see, I don't know how to pronounce that last name. Hero. In Spanish? In Spanish. Hero. You know, it's with an X in the end. Hero. He was uh, one of the generals and presidents in the Dominican Republic. So kind of like his autobiography. The book is in Spanish? The book is in, no, the book is in English. Yeah. The book is, you know, I'll give it to you. I'll, I'll lend it to you. I don't get my books. I'll lend <laughs> my so books. Okay. <laughs> you know why I don't, you know why I don't like give that. my books? I'm like that because they never give it back to you. They don't never give it back to me. But you know what, what book? Actually, since I, you know, after I read this one book, I said, I'm not going to give my books away. Wow. And first of all, and I tried the Kindle. This one book that you I tried the Kindle. About? Yeah, this one book. I tried the Kindle. I tried everything on apps. Mm-hmm. And there's so many books that I've lost because I was in that, 
you know, phase of my, of my, uh, you know, of, of wanting to interact with literature on a digital way. Uh-huh. No, I need a physical book. Yeah. You know, so there were many books that I paid for that I, I don't have in my bookshelf yeah. right now, which I regret. You know, there's not a lot of things that I regret, but I regret. It was this one book, uh, The Kite Runner. Oh, I love that story. Oh, so that author was so vivid, mm-hmm. you know. Yes. I mean, I'm a tough dude, you know. Like, I'm not a sucker, but, you know. <laughs> My, you know, movie? onions were crying. I mean, uh, you know, onions were onions were being cut while I was reading that book. Yeah. Um, and I, I haven't seen the movie. I didn't even know there was a movie. Mm-hmm, Thank you for bringing that up. Um, so the young kid, he had a father that he was living with, mm-hmm. right? And um, I think he called him Baba, right? That's yeah, how. That's how they call him. That's how they call him. And um, and he had a mother, right? Mm-hmm. And, but his mother had passed away when she gave birth to him, mm-hmm. right? But I remember from the book specifically that he had a deeper connection with his dead mother than he did with his living father. Yeah. And why was that? Because his mother left behind a bookcase filled with her books. And he felt that he connected with her through the books that she left behind. And he was an avid reader, right? So look. Yeah. You know, not to be morbid. When you have books in your home, you, you create avid readers. You create avid readers, but I also want people to know what they, I what A I digest child them. will pick up the book even if it's out of curiosity. Right, right, right. You know, but also, like, I'm really big on, like, leaving stuff behind because nothing is ever promised. Tomorrow's not ever mm-hmm. promised. Yeah. You know, and that's why I feel like if you write, if you do anything, you know, even this podcast, like, you know, my child, you know, my future children, hopefully, you know, if God gives me, you know, uh, that that privilege of having children, uh, that blessing of having children. You know, I can pass away and they can come back and they can be like, oh, like Bobby did a podcast. Yeah. And this is what he talked about. And this is where he was at in his life at the mm-hmm. time, right? Um, so I felt that was an extension of of my legacy, my books, yeah. you know? So after oh, that, after I, the Kite Runner, after the Kite Runner, I don't, you know, I already have tabs on three people that owe me books, <laughs> I make them sign a list. I make them sign a... Christian Pena, you owe me two books. <laughs> I make okay? them sign a, a... Really? Yeah, or or I have a notebook where I write down who I lent book to. Like, JP, I had lent him some books the other day. and that he JP doesn't look like someone that gives back books. Oh, he does. He does? I threaten people. Oh, okay, he okay, back okay. my books. JP looks like he just <laughs> hides them under the mattress. No, JP will... Actually, he didn't do that to my books because he said that JP is the type of person that he'll devour a book mm. and he'll write all over it, his notes and his thoughts and everything. Like he's he's crazy with it. Mm. Um, when it when it comes to these books, but I guess he took his his notes and put them somewhere else. But okay. he gave me back my books pretty pristine. Okay, um, good, good. I had lent them. Um, my Daughter's Eyes by Anessi Baez, which is a, a, a psycho... Anessi is a psychotherapist mm. um, who wrote this um, collection of short stories about Bronx families. Okay. Um, and then he also borrowed Black Maybe by Roberto Carlos Garcia, which is a poetry book. Okay. Um, and Roberto talks a, a lot about Dominican identity and blackness. Good, good. So he borrowed those. But okay. He, brought, he, brought, he surprised me when he dropped them off. All like, of them? Oh, all of them? It was all just two books. They all had it. pages? Yeah. Because <laughs> you got to, you know. Like they people, did. They did. You know, in law school, like, that, you know, that was the thing. Like, like people would rip out pages from books. Yeah, but so I don't put it past when anybody. people come over to my house, I have, like, a wall-to-wall bookshelf full of books. Mm. 
And then, like, on the walls, now I'm just starting to put books on my mother's thing. My mother's right. like, Malibro. <laughs> and I'm like, Mom, is like, these books are like my kids, you know. Right. Besides the fact that I also collect books by Dominican writers, and people send me books all the time. Um, I have this huge bookcase, and I guess when people come over, they're like, you know, and even talking to them, I'm like, oh, you should read this. So you right. should read this. So you'll connect with this, you know, when when because I used to have writing workshops in my apartment before COVID hit. So we had about 10 women writers who would come through every Sunday. Um, and of course, talking about writing, if it's something that they want to learn about their craft or right. they want to see an example of, I would pick a book out and tell them here. Um, I, you know what? I do the same thing. I think there's a book for every problem yeah. that you have. Yeah. You know, I actually gave a book to my mother in Spanish just recently, um, The Power of Now, but in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Porque esa mujer es demasiado acelera. Like, she's always thinking about <laughs> tomorrow. She can never be like... Did you tell her what the book was about? Yeah, it's about her breathing and, like, <laughs> chilling the fuck out. What does she say? You know, she says she's going to read, and, and she said that she's up to, like, page 15. It's been, like, 15 days, though. But um, she said that she's on page 15. And I, and I also, because, you know, again... You know, I, you know, I know that I have a responsibility. Like if I if I want to make sure that someone is doing something, if I'm committed to that person, you know, I'm going to I'm going to try to hold them accountable. And I, sometimes I call and I'm like, oh, did you read? And in the morning I was trying to force her to not force her because you can't force anybody to do anything. Mm-hmm. But I was reminding her. I was like, look, I, you know, you told me that you were going to start meditating in the morning before you start reading the book. Are you doing that? And she was like, all right, you know, let's do it. So, you know, hopefully, you know, she gets better with that, you Does know? Does your mom have a community of women her age that support one another? I mean, she has a best friend who is great. Um, she's, like, super zen, the total opposite of my mom. Her, um, my stepfather, her, her, her husband, mm-hmm. is super zen, um, you know, and that's why, and he's, like, always, like, well, that's funny that your mom is like, Oh, yeah. And whenever she calls me and, and tries to complain about him, I'm like, no, what are you doing? Because I know you. You're a man-eater. Like, what are you doing <laughs> oh right God. now? You just took me back. You know, like... <laughs> I've had people call me that. <laughs> like, you know, but I want to know, because the thing is that she's always think. you know, again, you know, she came here when she was 19. You know, she had to, like, raise yeah. two kids. Yeah. Um, when my father passed away at six or seven, she still had to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, she sent both of us, you know, to like make sure that we went to school. You know, I was a hothead. I was always out. Um, I was never, you know, early on uh, because I didn't see the relevance in education. Uh, I didn't really connect with it. Yeah. So, you know, I wasn't she didn't know where I would end up. So she was always on top of me. And then she also had her own ambition, you know, like, you know, she has those little, yeah. you know, Dominican traits that, you know, she also wants to live a certain standard, right? That really sabotages her mental health because she's never satisfied and she's never Ooh, calm. This podcast will talk about your mama. No, 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 I know, I know. I love her, you know, but I'm really, I'm really helping her, trying to help her just, because you know, she's done a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Like she, and she deserves to be. She's not in yeah, survival tranquil- mode anymore. Tranquila, yeah. You can just relax. Yes. yes. You know, like I get it. Yes. The, the immigrant you have experience. That conversation, like, like, you know, now your kids are grown. 
you're you're taken care of. You have a good man all the you. time. Survival Mommy. mode should be turned off. Mommy, please relax. Like it's not that serious. Like you're good. You you know the bills are paid. Like why are you stressing? No, she she's retired, but she's also like a part of like she's the uh, you know she she holds a key position on the co-op board mm-hmm. um, that, that that she's involved with. So it's like even like she doesn't know what to do with that time. Like, like she there's always traveling the world with her man. Yep, but even That's then she'll <laughs> find something to like you know you know try to fix. My mom. She's a she's a fixer. Is is not on survivor mode. Right. Anymore. Good for you. Good for you. You know, I'm trying to get my mother on CBD, you know, yes. um, just to relax her. You know, obviously it's legal, right? Like, um, just drop a few drops drop, on just, her tea or something. I mean, water. relax, relax. You know, just wanting to... Give you know, the bottle to her husband. Yeah. Well, well he's, he doesn't need it. Oh, but so no, he no, can I drop mean, it in so her yeah, drink? because he lives with her. That's what I'm going to have to do. That's what I'm going to have to do. Because uh, she's done, she's accomplished so much. She's paid her dues. Yeah. She just needs to chill. It's difficult sometimes, Charlie. You know, um, I evaluate a lot about how my mom grew up and my aunts. And, you know, they did a lot. The hustle was real. Coming yeah. into this country without a support system, without yeah. speaking the language. Yeah. Um, my mom went through so many things that she shared with us when we were much older. And I, you could only imagine what that what that feels like right you gotta definitely sympathize with them but sometimes i think it's just really difficult to turn off that switch mm-hmm. right it, it's it's almost like this is how i've always lived my life and i can't believe that not living like this exists like right. like there's like she might see you calm and her friend and her and her husband but for her it takes I don't know. I, I mean, to switch that reality for her, because um, my aunt is like that. Mm. You know, my aunt is, is constantly on survival mode, and I'm just like, how do you live like this? It's, it's not like, good for it's, heart. Sometimes it's like you self-sabotage también, yeah. right? Because you're you're keeping yourself from enjoying that peace that you deserve. That peace, like we could be so talking when are about you gonna, so many beautiful things. When are you gonna right accept that you deserve this? Right. I think that's yeah. No, that's what it is. You know, she it. needs to understand that she deserves everything that comes to her. Yeah. You know, and um, and that's why I'm trying to uh, help her with books. And you know, and she's made progress. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's such a key thing because I love her to death, yeah. and I don't want anything to happen to her. So she needs to start thinking about her health. And her, yeah. and you know, and you know, her blood pressure. Is is your mother a reader? Like, it's easy for her to pick up a book and read. Like, maybe that's something that maybe that's why she hasn't read your book yet because right. that's not a habit of hers. Right. You know, that's a habit you need to create. I just, I just have to stay on top of her. You know, like you know, what kills me is that she's such a good writer. You gave it to her in Spanish. In Spanish. Do they have an audio book? That's a that's a good question. I'm sure they do. Power of Now sold so many copies. I'm sure they're Spanish like, though. Uh, that's a better question. Um, I gotta figure that out. Cause maybe you know you could download it on her phone and she could listen to it. I gotta figure that out. Right. I gotta figure that out. Listen but, to um, it before bed or whatever the case may be. You just gotta find. Yeah. You know ways to get people. Yeah, that or, or, or CBD oil and just and just start <laughs> chugging away. You know, just pouring like a whole gallon of that shit. 
in her in her in her tea. Oh my god! But um, but yeah. So I want you to read uh, Jose Novas because he's like a gem that mm-hmm. we don't that no one knows about. I mean, I'm sure people in the community know. I about haven't him. read. I could tell you that I haven't found. Mm, I don't think I found any older Dominican American mm. writers. You know what? I'm I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make it my priority to introduce him to you because he has a very interesting book aside from the Ulysses Grant I mean mm-hmm. not the Ulysses Grant he was a, a he was a US president Ulysses uh, Hero mm-hmm. the name that I don't even know how to pronounce right. um, he has another book called Twice the Diplomat and that book is about Frederick Douglass and a lot of people don't know this Frederick Douglass um, actually went to the Dominican Republic because uh, yes. the U.S. Mm-hmm. was looking to possibly acquire the Dominican Republic. A lot of people don't mm-hmm. know that. Yeah, that's you know? correct. So, um, and according to the book, most inhabitants of the Dominican Republic were in favor of this annexation. Mm-hmm. Um, even the Dominican political leaders at the time, uh, such as President Baez and General Cabral. So, in fact, it appeared that the central issue of concern was who was to receive credit for the annexation and who was going to remain in positions of influence on the island. And that's why it never happened? Because they couldn't agree? Well, they couldn't agree, <laughs> but that's interesting because Dominicans love to pride themselves yes. from being of an independent country, right? Right. Uh, but this changes the narrative a bit, yeah. right? And, yeah. you know, and, I've, yeah. and I've also... Yes, sir. Listen, apologies, apologies to my <laughs> Puerto Rican brethren, my Puerto Rican high school classmates who endured... Major amounts of teasing concerning this topic, mm-hmm. right? Um, but you know, it's interesting. It's interesting that uh, you know there is there is you know documentation, and I'm sure he did he did really good research in finding this information out. Um, you know, and I I encourage everyone to read this book. But it's interesting what the findings were that Frederick Douglass had. You know, so um, it's on. Oh, I definitely want to read. That listen, now. listen. So. Um, on his return um, back from his first voyage to the island of, of Santo Domingo, um, he reported on the physical conditions on the inhabitants and territories as follows, right? As follows. So this is on page 84 where he's describing the Dominican Republic to a whole bunch of white senators, wow. and, you know, in, in the U.S. because they're looking to... What like, year was this? This was like in the in the in the late in the eighteen sixties or seventies. So it was around the same time that the that the black Americans um, left to DR. Yes, yes, yes. It was around that same time. Okay, and it's probably related. Yeah, I would I would imagine so. Yeah. And when you see the black Americans, you're saying they were um, black African American um, who left to the DR, and they. Um, made a life for themselves. I think it was in Samana. Really? So a bunch you know, of documentaries on YouTube. Right. You know, I didn't I didn't know they were black African Americans. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, I have heard a lot about that. And yeah. it was probably because the temperature was rising, um, in in a sense that the US was actually looking at them as as a potential US Commonwealth or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, Americans obviously wanting to get a better life wanting to be a part of that that big move, uh, you know, I can see them, even African-Americans, I can see them going to this other country where it wasn't mostly white, it was mostly black, brown people, 
you know, and, and then you have this American status. You know, why wouldn't you want to move to the DR? They're called the, the Samana African Americans. Interesting. You, look, um, you can look that up. Um, okay. There's a few documentaries on YouTube on African American descendants in Samana. And there's still some that, that still live there. That interesting. That's interesting. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely going to look into that. Yeah, you know, DR and there was also was, a migration of a lot of Arabs. Yeah, that's to what DR, I was, that a lot was of Jewish folks in the, DR. The, the Jews in Sosua, um, a lot of Asians, you know, Lo right. Chino. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a cousin that's half Chino. When you go to, you know, DR, you go to, there's a Chinatown in right. DR. Right, right. In La Capital. And, yeah. and to me, that was shocking. It was like, what? Yeah. And um, just recently, I participated in a writers' conference um, that was held in DR for women. And there was um, this featured writer, and she has a completely Asian name, but she speaks Spanish. She's Dominican. Yeah. You know, she was speaking Spanish, <laughs> you know, like our people. Yeah. And, but I was curious. I'm like, where's his last name from? And I, and I Googled her, and she's a historian in, in the DR, and her parents are, are Cantonese. Interesting. Interesting. But they came to DR really, really, really young, and and she was born in the DR, and yeah. she's never left. Especially, you know, my co- my nephew, not my cousin. You know, it's weird because my brother is the same age. My oldest brother from my father's side is the same age as my mom. So my nephews, I, I call them cousins because we're the same mm-hmm. age. But my nephew, his last name is Ng, Ng, and wow. and he's from the Dominican Republic, and um. And yeah, and they come from a long line of, of, of Chinese Dominicans. Um, but, you know, and also when Trujillo was in power, yeah. you know, the era of a of well, blanqueamiento. Yeah, when he led 500,000 know, um, Jews. Yeah, and Jews. And, 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 you know, also... Uh, like they struggled. Germany. A lot of them left. They couldn't deal with the of heat, course. with the Caribbean heat. With the Caribbean <laughs> heat. But, you know, like, you know, he was also, you know, a big fan of, of yeah. Hitler, right? Yeah. He, he had yes, a relationship with Hitler. Uh-huh. And, you know, and I'm sure many Germans also, as a result of that yeah. relationship, went to the DR. Um, isn't that isn't that ironic? Because he would have been one of the first people that Hitler would have taken out the way. It's like, dude, you're not, you know, you're not white. You're not, you're... Yeah, yeah. How, this, do you, how is it that you think that let's, we're going to be cool... No, because he, he was thinking that, you know what, if I put on this makeup, in which he, he was known yeah, for yeah. doing mm-hmm. for the camera, if I put on this makeup, I look yeah. lighter. El polvo. You know, yo me, yo me, uh, you know, you know what's, the, what's the Spanish word for relaxing, relaxing hair? I don't even know what the... Um, alisado. Me alis, aliso el pelo. Yeah, me aliso el pelo. And, you know, I'm in there like swimwear. Yeah. You know? But, um, so, check this out. It's on page 84 of the book. And these were the findings of Santo Domingo. The first one, mm-hmm. Frederick Douglass, you know, legend. Oh, that's a small, short, yeah, short, short book. Well, actually, the font yeah, is pretty small. The font that. is pretty small, and I don't know if the font is pretty small or my eyes are are giving, are, it looks are giving like normal away. But, size. I'm okay. looking at that book cover. Scrutinize every book I see. Well, you don't like it. <laughs> it's very generic. Oh, okay. Well, this was a long time ago. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, I've learned that about Dominican writers. Yeah, you know, and, and they didn't have a Dominican in, Writers Association in, at the time the to empower them. And, <laughs> one of the few things I've learned going to book fairs and all these um, book festivals with older 
generation of Dominicans, we when it comes to book covers presentations of books, yeah. and presentation, we're not, and that's so important. Interesting. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you know. But hey, slap a picture of Frederick Douglass there, and you're good to go. And you're good to go. Exactly. That's such a great. Mar- you know what? But it was. This was about Frederick Douglass, and um, you know, a chap, a champion for civil rights, right? Yeah. Um, and these were his findings. So as I open up to page eighty-four. Uh, The first finding was that the civilization of Santo Domingo was unsuccessful. These dudes ain't civilized. What? Second, climate conditions of the country are pleasant and variable, right? Mm -hmm. Third, the ruin and decay of society is basically a consequence of the slavery system established by French and Spanish masters. Mm. Four, their leaders, some rustics and some well-educated were responsible for the chronic system of rebellions and revolutions. Yeah. Because if that was in the 1860s, that's when the revolutions were happening in DR. Yeah. Yeah, this was uh, uh, 1873? Yeah, so I would need to figure out what was happening in DR. First of all, you know, I read this uh, Does he talk about what was happening in DR with the the slaves and and the revolution? He said, he said, all I remember from the book, because I read this a long time ago, Mm -hmm. all I remember is that he was like, there is chronic rebellion in this place. Okay. Yeah. He just so he, he just says he just says yeah. these people knock these people out. Yeah. People from Santiago knock knock people from yeah. the capital out, and it was just a constant rebellion back and forth. Yeah, because they would. Yeah, I right. get it. So you know there was no stability. I that guess, was not the time for them to. <laughs> that was not the time for them to to try to sell DR to the yep. you know to the US. Um, so yeah, DR didn't own, they didn't know if they were. Unifying the island or separating or separating from Haiti or whatnot. Right. They didn't. They didn't have its own identity just yet. Right, right, right. And obviously, human nature. Some people were just yeah. trying to aggrandize themselves. You know, I'm yeah. sure that happens a lot, especially in yeah. in, in smaller civilizations like that. Uh, the instability of the government scares private investment. So mm-hmm. here's talking to the the pockets of the U.S. Yeah. Uh, he was like, "Look, the government is not stable." We're not sure. I'm not sure that if you purchase property out here, you're going to continue being the owner because of this <laughs> chronic rebellion, right? Wow. Yeah. So he, he's pretty much letting them know. He said that the people are demoralized and by themselves, they won't survive such degradation. Wow. So maybe, okay, maybe there's a point of pride in there for Dominicans, right? Yeah. Because we did survive. Yeah. You know? We did survive such degradation. We proved and, him wrong. And we that proved aspect. Frederick Douglass wrong and the U.S. wrong, right? Um, seven, the annexation is the only possible solution to their agony. A friendly nation like the United States will give them prosperity. Mm, yeah, that they did, though. Oof. I mean, yeah. I, I say that we, we sold out to the U.S. Yeah. Not really. Right. You know, but but the thing is that you know, you, you talk to a lot of Dominicans or even the way that Dominican history was taught to me, clearly distinguish ourselves from Puerto Rico and that yeah. Puerto Rico's a commonwealth. Yeah. Like, bro, yeah. we just weren't purchased. Yes. They didn't they didn't come in. It wasn't because we had this like superior sense of like mm-hmm. who we were. But our streets are named after them. Right. Our, our, our restaurants, you, you, I went to DR in 2018 and my friend took me to a, a five, five guys burger place. And I'm like, yo quiero chicharrón de pollo. I don't want a freaking, no, he took me to the, um, 
Hustlers? Hustlers, the, the strip club? I mean, I don't no, know no, about no, it. I was told that. about it. I don't know about strip clubs. No, no, the restaurant. Um, what's no it restaurant called? called no, Hustlers. There's a restaurant called, oh my God, that the girls wear the red shirts. And they're oh, like, what you're are they talking called? about, you're talking about, I know what you're saying, but I don't go to those spots, but, um, <laughs> you know, I know what you're saying. I know, Hooters. I Hooters. Hooters. There you go. He took me to a Hooters. And I'm like, what the hell is this? You bring me to a Hooters? Status. Status. In, in, in La Capital? Status. And I remember my, I was staying in La Zona Colonial, and, and my cousin was like, um, eh, nos juntamos en La Chuchi. En La Chuchi. I'm like, huh? <laughs> what the hell is La Chuchi? And I asked her, and, and we, we stood in front of this map in, in El Conde, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, oh, this is called William Churchill Way. Mm. Churchill. Ch- Chuchi's Churchill? Yes, Charlie. Dude, are you serious? <laughs> La Chuchi. La Chuchi. So when they say La Chuchi, they meant William Churchill Way. But since they can't say the whole name, they said Chuchi, Chuchi, Chuchi. Yo, that, that, you know what that reminds me of? You know, when I used to go to DR, my mother used to send me out there every summer. And, um, likewise. And there was a, a kid, he, you know, because he was into like the music that I was listening to. And, um, and he was like, oh, yeah, hermano, pero déjame, ese, eh, you know, how do you say CD in Spanish? CD. CD. <laughs> Oye, déjame ese CD de ese, de ese rapero, el, el grande chiquito. Mm-hmm. El grande chiquito. Like, what is he talking what about? What was he referring Biggie to? Biggie Smalls. Oh. El grande chiquito. <laughs> Are you serious, bro? I'm like, come How on. How long man. did it take you to figure that out? <laughs> I, I think I figured it out like last, last week. But when he told me that, I was like confused. I was like, yo, bro, like, I, can't, I don't have that CD. I do not have that CD, bro. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, so the things that you hear, the things that you hear are it's pretty interesting. But, um, again, going back to that report written by a living legend of the civil rights, it's quite interesting. Even though half my brain doesn't allow his uh, champion status to place a blanket over his possible uh, personal interest in the annexation, if it would have been successful. But you would imagine that if he would have came back and said, you know what, we can purchase, he, he probably would have gotten a pretty good check imagine? so maybe he stayed true to what, what he saw and that was the truth what was the commission for buying an island what were they going to sell our island for what, what's, what's the price I know what right? did islands go for I, <laughs> nevertheless I appreciate did Jose did they purchase another island the US during that time because they couldn't purchase DR you know what that's a good question they were looking at other I think they had already uh, worked out something with Puerto Rico at that time. Um, they were obviously looking at Cuba, and uh, they were looking at some other. You know, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to misquote, but they were looking at other islands. Now, this was a, this is enterprising. Yeah. Like United States were on the move, right? Um, and they said, you know what, DR, you guys, the they're mind, holding them Seattle. The mind of the colonizer. Which you know, yeah, the mind of the colonizer. So um, also through DWA. You know, when I say DWA, Dominican Writers Association, um, I became aware of Daniel Padilla Peralta. Yes, yes. Yes. You have his book right yes, I have his book. And you became aware of him when? When I went to your, um, you had an event at the bookstore. It was um, the launch of Dominican Writers. 
Was it the launch of Dominican yes. Riders? It was. That's crazy. I remember I, I, I don't know how I found out about it. the first day that we launched really? the American Writers at Word Up. Yeah, I think that makes me like an honorary yes, like founding yes, admono <laughs> or something. I should get some credit you for are, that. You are, Charlie. But listen, I remember, because I, I think I had just graduated from law school. I was in law school at the time. What, what year was that? Um, 2015. I'm all in that a lot. I had, I was already an attorney for like four years. Um, all right. So, but I remember when I when I found out about it, I'm like, this is so dope because I'm so, you know, you and I. One of the reasons why we we connect is because you know I'm passionate about literature. Mm-hmm. I'm passionate about members of, of our community reading. Yeah. And when I saw that, I was like, I gotta go. And then and then when I met you, um, I was like, yo, this 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 lovely lady, right, <laughs> is doing the work. And I want to support this. You know, um, the bookstore is called Word Up. Yes, Word Up Word Bookstore. Up bookshop. Yeah, and that was the first experience that I had of Dominicans coming together and talking about books. I mean, outside of the college campus, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and after that, I've just been following you, and I've seen you grow and create this and and blossom the organization where. Where, where it's like, it's a, it's a major platform. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I met, I met uh, Daniel Padilla yeah, Peralta. Yeah. You know, it was a very unique story. A very unique story. He spoke about immigration. Mm-hmm. Also, he was an undocumented Ivy League student, yeah. right? But, Another relatable story, you know, when he talks about being homeless and all the difficulties his parent, he and his family went through. Right, right. Um, did, he, did he touch on... Um, anything dealing with his uh, complexion? Because he was darker, too. I remember he was... Um, I think he touched on it feeling out of place in, in you know... In Dominican I mean, culture? Even in Ivy, League co- in Ivy League school, you're not going to school with kids that look like you. Right, right. Right? You're going to school with white people. Right. And the programs that he was... Um, being, you know, put into and whatnot. Right. It, it weren't... It weren't they weren't kids like him. Right. Yeah. You know, it was a really interesting book and it was mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed it. It was a thick book. Yeah, I found Daniel on Twitter. Really? Yeah, my, what school did my, he go to my research goes deep. <laughs> what, like, what school I think you? it was Harvard was or Harvard? Princeton. Yeah, I think it was Princeton. I think it was yeah. Princeton. Uh, but shout out to that brother. Like, what is he up to? He is a professor at um, Columbia University, I believe. That's what's up. Shout out to the but brother. But he, you got to follow him on Facebook. I forget. I think Facebook? He te- yeah, I think he teaches like theology or something like that. Interesting. Yeah. Really? Did he, I think he spoke about theology yeah. a bit in the book as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was interesting. Um, you know, if you look at this bookshelf here, uh, I read Trujillo, which is I that see big no Domin- book. Where are your Dominican writers at? I see one. We got to switch up your book. Again, that's why we're here, so that you can put me on. <laughs> Um, you know what? And Trujillo wasn't even written by a Dominican writer. Of course it wasn't. Crass, Robert Crass Weller, so you could only imagine... Uh, that he was not Dominican, mm. but um, it actually, it was very well resource, researched. Um, you know, he spoke about this very protectionist government, very culturally confident, you know, mm-hmm. ring any bells? Does that remind you of any mm-hmm. any other country? Um, you know, a country that ne- rarely invested in the arts. Uh, there were mass killings uh, by the hands of the dictator Trujillo, um, also, it talks about his rise to power. The dude was like a thug, um, army thug, smart, 
um, and uh, and he pretty much forced him, forced himself into power through a coup, right? Yeah. Um, and then um, again, he talks about the killings uh, by many of Trujillo's cronies, mm-hmm. but he also talks about that the country was overall safer. You know, that's something that a lot of conservative, yes. traditionalist yes. Dominicans hold mm-hmm. on to. Yes. They say, no, because la era de Trujillo, yeah. no había crimen. And la they gente... say the same thing about Balaguer. Yes, yeah. and they say the same thing about Trujillo. Mm-hmm. Bala... They say the same thing about Balaguer. Balaguer was like the Plato to Socrates. They, could say, they say, you know, he, he was likely a monster, but I'll tell you one thing. There you was... know, we didn't have any crime. And right. I'm like, claro, porque criminal mayor era él. Exacto, exacto, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, and then, then the argument he is, okay, brother. He kept everybody in check. Then the argument is, okay, rather one criminal than having Yeah, people 5, were 000. afraid to do anything. Right, right. And also, people hang on to, like, early in his years, um, he did get the country out of debt, right? Yeah. Um, so he, he was, was a college professor, I think, before he became president. He? Yeah. Because I know he was in the military. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, um, but it was really interesting, you know, and he made his name through, like, being a nationalist, like, really hitting home this whole identity of like we're Dominicans and these people are Haitians yeah. and uh, you know we have to like get back the border and you know I think they slained like 15,000 yeah. when he would when have he got been a Trump power. supporter super Trump supporter <laughs> super Trump supporter I, I have history like my great grandfather uh, who uh, rebelled against Trujillo cronies in San Francisco de Macorís which was known as one of the more rebellious yeah. Uh, states or cities, if you will, um, and um, yeah, and he, and he was uh, unfortunately killed by one of his cronies. Uh, my grand, my grandmother's father, uh, who actually migrated from Cuba, and you know, into the Dominican Republic. So, so he brought some of that revolutionary blood. Um, let me see. Thanks to JP, I also read Josefina Baez. Which one? Um, the. Well, I read the one, the illustration book, uh, called Carmen. Okay. Yeah, and you know, let me tell you this. I love the freedom in the book. You know, when I say freedom, is freedom of expression in the yep. book. Um, I feel like she is what I think about when I think about the Dominican Republic. Mm. And I tell you why. Because the character that she depicted was vivacious, was funny, witty, yeah. expressive, eloquent, um, animated, unapolog- unapologetically brown. I'm not going to say black yet because we're not, because we still have a long way to go yeah. to really accept our blackness. Yes, but yeah. definitely unapologetically brown, uh, reminding us that that we are European in concept, but African by DNA, by culture, you know, by soul, um, by spirit. Um, but within that same vein, her image strikes me as the part of the Dominican Republic that we love as children mm-hmm. um, until, we become old, until we become old enough to become intimate with it. And once we become intimate with it, we, we cause it harm. And, you know... It's a good book review. Yeah, you know, I really connected I with it. And, I, and on, I hit up I, JP and I was like, yeah, thanks, bro. I hope you go on Amazon and, and submit that review. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay, no problem. I'll do that. I, gotta, I'll do that. Encourage I thought a text was our, going to be... I'm trying to encourage our readers to review our books. Yeah, it is very right. important for you're us right. to review books because it gives these authors more visibility. You're right. You're right. And, you know, you're right. And, again, many men, many Dominican men love women like Carmen. Right, mm-hmm. this free-spirited woman, yeah. right? But many, 
don't know how what to do. Yeah. Many don't know what to do with a Carmen. woman like Carmen. Yep. Um, and unfortunately, their unchecked misogyny ruins the soil that nourishes this beautiful flower yeah. that was Carmen, right? Yes. Um, and, you know, it, it dampens, we dampen men. Uh, toxic masculinity yeah, on the island yeah, tampens this type of vibration. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's all great. Like, you know, kids are always like, they, they, they have fun with each other, but as soon as they get intimate, there comes a, a power control. Yeah. Like, what drew you to that woman, mm-hmm. to that young girl, was no, the fact that the she ma- was free-spirited. But the machismo in our country. The fact that it was, that she was that she was witty, yeah. that she was independent. But then you want that for yourself, and you don't want her to share it with the world. So you 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 dim her light. Right. Yeah. Listen. And you just want so her real. to be like that with you, but it doesn't work like that. Right. We need to do better with that. And you you know, sure do. Okay. Dominican men sure uh, do. Listen, listen. <laughs> Honestly. I Let me just tell you, I've only dated Dominican men, and sometimes I'm just like, this is going to be like the, the bane of my existence. Mm. And I was like, maybe I should date other groups. Maybe I should try dating a white man because these Dominican men are going to drive me crazy. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, <laughs> but I just really, can't. I can't stop dating you know, Dominican men. You know, you know, well, listen, you need to like reevaluate. <laughs> What you can't and what you can do, all right? Because you know, I, like I have many friends, non-Dominican, uh, that you know are great men, you know, and I, I think that's where we limit ourselves. But I do think, like as a Dominican man, right, Dominican American man, right? I've also dated outside of the culture, outside of the race, mm-hmm. and um, and also I've had to like deal with who I was in those relationships as far as like how I came across, right? right? Like sometimes when you're dating someone from your same culture, there's certain things that they'll let slide. Yeah. Right? You know, you could be a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, like somewhat like... Because we know each just, other. You know, I mean, yeah, we know yeah, the nuances of our culture. Right, we, right, right. We you understand. Know, and, and, you know, again, again, Caribbean culture, you know, we're very... We're very blatant about what we're thinking or mm-hmm. like a little too blatant like muchacha tu tengo right. or whatever you know yeah. so <laughs> it's very like yeah you know and, and but then I, when you date outside of that they're like that's totally disrespectful yeah. mm-hmm. like you're deminimizing who I am you're yeah. disrespecting me and the tone that you have and I was like what do you mean I'm Dominican I'm passionate <laughs> and they're like no yes it's like you're exerting right. too much space right um or, or you're taking up too much space. And, um, but there was one thing that I found from, that's consistent in many of my Dominican friends, and I point that out to them all the freaking time what is it? when I see it. And is, you know, this back and forth, this, um, you know, what's this, this back and forth, what do you call that? This, this back and forth, this... Uh, the debate, the... It's not, it's not this debate. It's like this dance, this verbal dance, right? Dominicans... Where, when arguing, when... It's not even... It's just in conversation uh-huh. um, where our banter... Yes, banter. The banter yeah. that Dominican men have with Dominican women, mm-hmm. right, is very... It, it gets to a point where they... It becomes about me taking you out of your zone. Me chipping away... Through jokes, 
through comments, through the, looking at... Mira esa tipa. That's the Mira misogyny, tipa. though, Charlie, because I, I know, we... But, like, we, but misogyny men, is such a big word yeah, that we have Dominican to, like... Dominican men cannot let a, a Dominican woman have one over on you. Right. Not it doesn't matter how small yeah, that that's could where that be. Comes from. You're right. Like that pride yeah. that the Dominican man has, and that deep-rooted misogyny that sometimes they don't even realize it. Right. That they that they're upholding these these beliefs. Well, right. I, like I, I, you know, I realized it, and one of the books that helped me realize it was Celestine Prophecy, and we'll get mm-hmm. to that book because um, I'm all about energy, and but I see the energy. Um, in these conversations with Dominican yeah. men. And it's chipping away at the woman's self-esteem. Yes, it does. It's chipping away. And it's like, and it's, and it's very confusing because they say, Mommy, I love you. It's gaslighting. Oh, that's, that's what gaslighting is? You know, there's so many definitions to gaslighting. I'm, I'm trying yeah, to keep I mean, up. You're, you're, it's, I mean, it's just insane. I've had so many situations with with guys that I'm just like, wow. It does something to you to to you psychologically. Uh, I'm sure it does. That I'm sure it does. It's you know what, and 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 right now, I feel that like I'm triggered by that because you know one of the things and the reason I'm triggered by that is because I've always I've always disliked abusive authority, right? Abusive power, right? Um, and it's like, that's a clear way. And of course, I'm not innocent. Like, I'm sure I've, did, I've done that many times when I was a teenager, even as a young adult, mm-hmm. you know, or like, you know, you find ways to chip away at someone's self-esteem. You know, maybe they're not making what you're making financially because, mm-hmm. you know, you, yeah. you know, like you don't want to think about the fact that, oh, definitely, you know, yeah. um, society obviously, uh, you know, encourages men like you to you know, have certain positions and equal pay is an issue. You don't, you don't want to go there, but it's like whatever you can to chip away at that, that, that self-esteem, at that confidence, so that they can rely on you for their own self-approval. Mm-hmm. That's fucked up. And, I, you know, and I'm not saying that because I, I want people to know that I'm... Uh, well, no, I'm this I'm, is what I'm I've just, seen. I'm just glad that you realize that, Charlie, as a man, because I don't think many Dominican men come to that conclusion. Bueno. It just becomes this a toxic relationship where in one moment they tell you they love you and then they're chipping away at your self-esteem when right. you love someone. There's so many different ways, and that's why you just yeah. have to, you know, if, if, we, if we just focus on how we feel when we see something specific. For example, it could just be like the way that I said it. You don't feel the way... You don't feel right about how I said it. Then point that out. Right. I didn't like your tone, right? Like, be real. Like, I didn't like your tone. Or... But not every man can accept criticism or for you telling them that you don't like something about them. And that's and when I say, and that's when I say, I that's think, when I say, go to therapy. I think Dominican men are raised very insecure. For sure. There is definitely not confidence. You know, there's, it's definitely not confidence. It's just insecurity. Especially as a, as a man of color, right? Like, when you think about being, you know, when, when, when you think about being a man 
Um, you think about being successful, mm-hmm. about having money, about being a boss. Yeah. You know, obviously, I've evolved to think about a man in a more wholesome way, right? Mm-hmm. Where, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't have to deal with all that, right? Yeah. But many young men, you know, you know, and I hate to generalize, but they think about it in that way. And when their life is not consistent with what they feel a man should be, when they go to work and their boss treats them like shit, you know, when they look at their bank account and there's nothing manly about their bank account, right? When, when they're not the dude in the gym lifting the heaviest weights, right? They go home and they take it all yeah. out on whoever's home. Yeah, but who's raising these men? Yeah, that's a, that's a better question. We're all complicit. Who's having these conversations? You had to figure that out on your own. I did. I did have to figure that out on my own. And it was, and honestly, and some of it, and women, you, you know who pointed that out to me? Women that were not Dominican. Because women we're used to it. Exactly, we normalize it. Exactly. exactly. So we're never, very, very rarely, we're going to point that out. Because we normalize it. And sometimes it's just so normal to us that we don't even see it anymore. <laughs> it's, it's completely normal to us. Right. Yeah. So that's and something. It's, so it's again, insane. But the, again, that that goes back to our cultural norms, how we raise our boys. I pay a lot of attention because my son is twelve. So I pay a lot of attention in having conversations with my son and teaching him how to express himself mm-hmm. and express his feelings and share his opinion about certain things. His dad sometimes comes back at me and be like, you know, you give him too much freedom to say things. And I'm yeah. like, but he matters. His opinion and his emotions matter. Right. If he doesn't like something, that matters. I'm not just going to impose something on him because I like it. Right. And because, you know, but my kid now will question it. And he'll tell me, well, I don't like that, but why do I have to do it like that? Right. And And sometimes I'm just like, them it's biting me in the ass but i'm teaching him to question things right. and make sure that he respectfully expresses himself right. and that he's in tune with his emotions and it's okay for you to feel sad about something or you know pissed off at me it's okay for you to be angry at me i'm not gonna get angry at you for being angry at me right. but our parents what when would we ever able to express any emotions in front of our parents growing up? Right. Or, or, or let alone cry. I remember one time I said something to my mom and she slapped the shit out of me. Right. Yeah. And if even when you cry, what are you crying about? Again, you don't again, have anything to cry about. Again, again, so again, this is me looking at it from a holistic view, right? Many of our parents were just trying to get by. Yeah, yeah. They didn't have exactly the wherewithal to sit down with us mm-hmm. after working eight to ten yeah. hours. Um, to like deal with so the emotions we, of a child. It's our responsibility to do for better. For sure, for sure. A lot of us look back and say, I don't want to be my parent. And some of us fall into being, right. into becoming our parents. Yeah. But um, if you're really in tune with yourself, you, you, you'll change that. And that's why I think art is so important. That's why I think reading is so important. Because it, it allows young men... You know, and, and not to make this all about young men, I feel like I'm taking up too much space and just talking about <laughs> young men. But I think we're the ones that have to do the most work, you know, overall. Yeah. You know, as a society, women are, are um, especially black and brown women, mm-hmm. are by far, yeah. I mean, outperforming us when it comes to graduating from universities, mm-hmm. when it comes to like 
you know, just like really doing the work. Um, so, you know, that's why I feel like it's important yeah. to talk Takes about that. Takes you guys to catch up. Yeah, but, you know, and that's why <laughs> books, books are so important. You know, there were so many, there were so many things in my childhood that uh, there were so many ways that I, that I witnessed as a child where my emotions were suppressed, not only from parents, not only from your friends, um, but, but from, from, you know, obviously what you're looking on TV, from, mm-hmm. from the music, yeah. you know, so we're changing and not to harp on this subject. Um, we just have to push the envelope. Um, you know, when it comes to changing, though, it's, it's interesting because in understanding how people change, um, everybody's different, right? Yes. And everybody's triggered differently, right? Yes. Which is why I'm, I'm such yes. a big fan of Bell yes. Hooks. Um, because I spoke to you, you know, she talks to me with this, like, I feel like when I read her, her voice is gentle, but it's also checking me at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I realized, like, why is that? Um, you know, I've been... Why in, do you feel like that, right? I've been in spaces where I shut down, where, um, you know, when, when I'm being, like... Challenged. Cha- not challenged, because I'm used to being challenged because of my mom. My mom never really... <laughs> words of affirmation were never her thing. <laughs> So she, so she challenged me in, in, in every way. But when I'm being scolded, mm. right, it brings me back to when I was a child yes. with my mom. Yeah. And what I did at that point is that I would always withdraw. Because mm. right now, it's like, it's really not about the message. Yeah. Like, you're really trying to hurt me. That's how my yes. mind interprets it. Yes. I'm not interpreting it as, let me understand where your anger is coming from. Yes, I should have. But I was a child. Yeah. You know, I wasn't thinking about this woman left everything that she knew to come here to, to put me through private school. Yeah. You know, I yeah. lost my father. She's doing it on her own. Yeah. No, I was just saying, yo, she's verbally trying to hurt me yeah. uh, by telling me and by scolding. Right. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to dialogue, if I say something that triggers you right as a woman. Right. But then you scold at me for me triggering you. Then we're just two people triggered. Yeah. And where where does the conversation be keyword? Yeah. So, Therapy. you know, and, and, and where and when where's the space? When when can we have that conversation? But obviously in therapy. In therapy. <laughs> Listen, you know, I'm an avid in therapy. I told you I call, we need to unpack the generational trauma. Right. Right. We do. We do. And I think and I'm a strong proponent of therapy. You know, I've called you up and I told you, mm-hmm. look, you're doing a lot. You're out in these streets. You're protesting. Yeah. You're doing so much work with DWA. And by the way, shout out to Mariela. Um, and also um, shout out to, to Sydney for, for you know, their, their, their work at Dominican Writers um, as well. But, you know, I told you, I was like, Angie, uh, you're getting some therapy? <laughs> because, like, I'm, I'm just looking and you know, as much as, at what's as happening. As much of an advocate that I am of mental health, and I told you that I, even my master's in, is in mental health counseling, um, I'm always the one being that support system right. and that person that people come to vent to. Yeah. But I haven't made that a priority for myself. And you had to, and I, and I urged you to. I texted you, I was like, Angie, <laughs> get to it. It's one of the best decisions that I ever made in my life. I got to it, Charlie, I Good. got to it. Good, You know, and, and you know, and just recently I, I, you know, I spoke to a friend who uh, was going through some things as well. Um, and I was like, bro, I'll pay for your first session. Right. Just do it. 
believe me. Um, you know, I did it for many reasons. One was because of just anxiety of always uh, putting too much on my plate and, and, and dealing with that anxiety. And, you know, and when you're walking around yeah. and you put too much on your plate and you're anxious, yeah, you're highly triggered. You're not the best that's, version that's, of yourself. That's an issue for me as well, the, the anxiety. Um, I have suffered from panic attacks in the past, um, but my panic attacks are, are brought on by stress. Mm. Um, okay, yeah, stress so, from what? From what? Uh, to be frank, um, when I was pregnant, I was very stressed. My pregnancy wasn't and wasn't a good experience, so I was always suffocating. Right. And then it wasn't after the fact that I realized that I was just having panic attacks. Yeah. Um, and then there was a, a relationship um, that ended, and I began having panic attacks mm-hmm. um, as well. And I I went into the ER. Um, and I think I put that in my book. Um, it was actually part of my, my book launch because my book launch was, um, written into a theatrical piece, um, where five women, um, perform pieces from my play. And one of them was that when I checked myself into the ER Mm. and I remember the doctor prescribing me Zoloft. Interesting. And I was just like, what the hell? You giving me prescription antidepressants? I was offended. Mm. Because you like you hear stories and obviously, you know, it's frowned upon. No, no. No, because I don't I don't have that negative understanding of of mental health. Um and and I I do feel that certain people do need medication, right. and it's okay for you to take medication. Right. And I agree. Some people are okay with therapy and no medication, but some people do need medication. I have no problem with that. I just felt offended because it it was the doctor telling me that I had lost control, mm. and I am a very controlled person. Right. And he was telling me you lost it. And that's because you wasn't doing the self-care. Right. We all and have a to me, spot. it was like my pride. And I was like, I let this mother bring me to a freaking ER. Mm. And I remember my ex coming into, he worked in the hospital oh that I was God. in the it's ER with. The nightmare. What the hell? Okay. And he's coming to check up on me. I, re- I just wanted to throw the equipment at him. And then the doctors are telling him, oh, you know, she's depressed. Mm. She's And he's just looking at me and like... And, you know, um, I said to him, because it was actually my son's father, um, and our breakup was pretty bad. And I said to him, you know, I'm, I'm, even after we broke up, we were still seeing each other every day. He would pick me up from my house, drop me off at work, and drop off my kid and my mom's. And there was just one day that I was in the car, and I said to him, you know what, um, I don't want you driving, picking me up. And driving me to work every day. Mm. Um, I can't do this anymore. The next time you pick me up, I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna push your head through that windshield. Right. And we wanna prevent that. And he just looked at me like, okay, I understand. Right. Because I was having such a difficult time. He, he was like nothing, like nothing had happened. And me, my world was falling apart. And I was just like, just pick up my kid, bring him to my mom's. I don't need to see you. Right. And that's how we did it for for quite a quite a while. So I was 
I was over it. And it took me quite a long time to get over it. Um, but when I checked myself into the ER, that's when I said, I need to go to therapy mm -hmm. because I need to get rid of this anger. It's not healthy for me. I'm in a freaking ER. I'm having panic attacks because I'm so angry and so stressed. And it's not going to be good for my kid. Right. And, the, and so that's what I did. I went to therapy for a while just to let go of that. And once I let go of that, I was... So, so yeah. I, I stopped therapy. Right. Um, and also because during therapy, I was being challenged with things that I wasn't ready to address. At the time, right. At the time. So I was like, oh, you want to ask me about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't need this. <laughs> I'm not talking about this right, right now. I'm going to talk about that when I'm because good and this ready. Person, because this person, we need to deal with this person. Yeah. As opposed to like, okay. I'm like, we'll I'm, not, I'm not dealing with this. Right. And I stopped going to therapy yeah. because of it. And I haven't been back since then. Um, but you know, you know what I find for, for, for writers? Therapy is probably the best way. Oh, yeah, definitely. To get content to write. Because this person is challenging you in every way imaginable, yeah. you know, uh, you know, all the way down to like how you were raised as a child. Yeah. To mm -hmm. you know, what do you do normally that you kind of like forgive yeah. yourself for, but it creates patterns. Yeah, that like, was just all the things that I was just like, look, I'm just getting over. I'm trying to get over this breakup. I'm not trying to go there. Right, right. Like right. that's gonna be a whole other, you know. You know what? I guess I guess I'm I'm lucky because what by the time I got to therapy, I was like, yo, let's talk about it. Let's yeah. talk about it. Now I feel like that. Now yeah. now I, I I feel like that. Just and I guess it's because analyzing myself and the way I lead my life, certain things, I know that it could be better. Mm. Or and that I could find better ways to manage things. Right. So I'm fine with that. Now now I'm like, okay, let's sit down. We could talk about it. <laughs> right. So, so is your therapist uh, a person of color? Yeah, she's Latina, Ooh, and I okay. was intentional about that. Nice, nice. Um, and also about her. And, and I say nice not only because all therapists have to be Latina, but because she was intentional, and because I mean, I say she as if you're not right mm -hmm. in front of me, but because you um, knew exactly. Why you know you knew exactly what therapist you wanted because mm -hmm. you yes. know you could have spent a lot of a lot of precious time looking for different well, types Charlie, of therapists. Well, Charlie, like without... I said, I have a master's in mental health counseling, right, 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 right. so I also learned while I was doing my master's what type of therapists are out there. Mm. Right, so I know all the mod modalities that exist. I know about the you know all the intersections the, and all the intersection of and how to choose a therapist. Mm -hmm. um, and that is information that the common person doesn't know. Listen, I didn't know. A lot of people go into therapy and it doesn't work for them. Like I had my best friend who, who's been going to therapy for years and she you would complain to me all the time about her therapist as certain things just weren't working for her. And I asked her, well, what kind of therapist are you going to? And she didn't know. Right. So I had to explain to her what, you know, there are behavioral therapists, there are kind of, you know, psychotherapists, there's th therapists that just help you get over your grief. There's trauma based therapists. There's what kind you need to. I had to educate her on that and explain to her and have her do her research right. on what it was that she needed so that she could find the right therapist for herself. And a lot of people do not have that information. 
people think that therapy is just therapy and that it's all the same. And that's not the case. Mm. Interesting. You know, I was so lucky that um, I just, you know, my therapist was referred to me mm. by someone that I trust and someone, uh, you know, he's a fellow Libra like I am. Uh, I consider him. I consider him to be a reasonable person. My son is a Libra. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, like we out here. When's your birthday, Charlie? October seventh. When's your son's birthday? Twenty second. Okay. Oh, so he's barely a Libra. Yeah. He's he's like one day or two days before yeah. being a what? Uh, a Scorpio. A Scorpio. Well, thank God he's a Libra. <laughs> You, you guys are just, oh my God, I dated a Libra and I was like, is this what my kid is going to be like? You, you know, you know, you guys are so sensitive. And are we? Yeah, you know, we're, we tend to be, you know, we tend to be very reasonable. Mm-hmm. Is that, yeah. is that a thing? Yeah. We, we, we balance, right? And obviously I'm generalizing, right? But we, we tend to look at both sides. Yes. Okay, and and some people like that, some people don't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that drives us to be calm in situations, uh, the opposite of neurotic, yes. which uh, yes. some birth signs are mm-hmm. known for, but we're not going to go into that. Yeah. I'm not going to birth uh, <laughs> sign shame anyone. Um, but, um, but yeah, you know, and I've met amazing Libras, and we've connected on the same things. Like, it's it's always like a very sociable uh, person, who I consider to be reasonable, who's not, who's not um, over the top, um, and non-confrontational. Like it's crazy. Like even yeah. though, you know, my, my my job, my profession is to be adversarial. I'm generally people yeah, that know me. I'm not a confrontational person. Um, so yeah, so I, I find that quite interesting, and that uh, that encourages like pretty fruitful friendships and relationships. Um, which is why I feel like I have pretty strong bonds with people because yeah. I kind of like accept them for the most part for what they are. Yeah. You know, they're flaws because, yeah. you know, we're all flaws. You, you guys have some good things. Yeah. You know, Libras are... I would say many, but we don't have to go there. <laughs> but again, shout out to therapists, especially therapists of color. My therapist is a is a Afro-Latina mm. um, um, from Panama, uh, but she's a, you know, she's an American. Uh, she's amazing. You know, so yeah. if anyone is looking for uh, a therapist based out of New York City. Um, obviously, right now they're doing a lot of Skype, uh, Skype and Zooms, which works perfectly, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that you don't have to travel out yeah. um, and expose yourself to COVID. A lot um, of health insurance also provides mental health. People yeah. need to look into it. Right, right, and you know some of these therapists I mean, do the sliding found, scale as well. I found my therapist on the Latin therapy directory, um, but when I went on my health insurance. I realized that I was like, oh, man, I, I just forget that I have this whole directory on my health insurance for therapists. Mm. So, you know, thank God that I mean, I've worked for hospitals most of my life. So um, they've always offered um, mental health, right. which is wonderful. And if your insurance offers it, take it. Right. Right. Exactly. That cool pay is probably thirty dollars, not two fifty. There we go. There we go. There so we go. Take it. And you hear and you heard it here from from Angie. Uh, you know, the tough friend that needed to get checked on. You yeah. know, to make sure that she was doing okay. And um, there's a you know, uh, I get a lot of people who ask me where could they find um, a, a Latino therapist or a therapist of colors. There's quite a few directories out there, um, even for black men. Um, 
I think Jason um, post about it once or, or yeah, Jason or, has or uh, had an event with black men, black therapists. I forget the name of the org. Right. Um, yeah. But if you go on my personal Instagram page, I have a highlight for mental health where I, I have a bunch of resources for um, Latino therapists of color that people could just look into. Sure. And also uh, the lives of men yeah. on, on their RG website Definitely. or RG page, I should say, also uh, can guide you to those resources. Mm-hmm. By the way, shout out to Jason Rosario on that new gig. Yes. You know? Congrats to yes, Jason. Yes, yes, On that new gig. Um, Damn, you know. Jason was on vacation and came through with a new job. A new job. <laughs> you know, uh, diversity um, yeah. chief officer <laughs> for BBDO, right? Yep. A major yep. advertising company. Yeah. That was the first company my brother got a job. Really? And really? Such, he such went necessary from, work. From a video game store to working there, he was a graphic designer. That's where he learned everything he knows. Interesting. Interesting. So when I saw that, I was like, oh my God. Well, well, it brought back memories. Jason <laughs> should connect with him just to understand more of the culture from the inside. Yeah, he hasn't worked there in a long time. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So yeah. he's just there for. Yeah, just uh, five years. Okay. Okay. A very long time ago. But yeah. I've been shouting out Jason on every episode. You know, there's always a right. like everybody's bringing up Jason because Jason's right. doing the work. Shout out to yes. Jay. Yes, definitely. I'm going to see him in a few. Um, we're actually going to meet up in, um, in in Mexico and, okay. and just like, you know, relax before we actually start to fall um, and, and catch up and, and celebrate. He's been the there for a minute. Yeah, this guy, is, I think he's been there close to a month. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, so he, he's doing a lot of no, that necessary self-care. Especially during uh, COVID dollars. Yeah, I'm just like, how do you travel? But then I see his Instagram and I'm like, okay, I get it. Yeah. My accountant is like that. He's holed up in some villa in Punta Cana. And yeah. I was like, I don't appreciate you bullying me with these pictures. Listen, okay. listen, like right now. The, the hotels are really inexpensive mm-hmm. per night. That's what I um, But, you know, you obviously you have to be cautious. You have to yeah. be protected. Make sure you fly with an airline that is socially distancing. Not all of them are socially distancing. Yeah, I heard JetBlue is doing a wonderful job. Yes. Delta, I was told, is doing a wonderful yeah. job. United Airways, doing a poor job, from my mm-hmm. understanding. Um, so, you know, just have to be safe. The only two countries allowing us is Mexico and DR. And Mexico <laughs> and DR. That's it. You can't travel anywhere else. They don't want us there. It's different times. And, you know, I think that's a good reality check for us as Americans. Um, you know, how, how, your, how these luxuries that we have of being able to travel all over the world because of that blue passport can yeah. be taken away from us. Mm-hmm. You know, like not... There's like, so many people in other that countries sending, that can't do what we're we do. We're sending all these people back to Mexico, but they're the only ones allowing us to travel. Para que tú lo veas. Do you see Immigration Nation? Para que tú lo veas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Terrible. Terrible. And what do you think? What do you think about... I you cried know, with that first episode with the Dominican guy because, of course, you know, it had to be a Dominican guy. <laughs> I'm like, why? You know, I didn't get to that part. What happened to the Dominican guy? It was the guy? first episode. So that when they go into the woman's apartment and she's calming down her mother and they bring out her, her father in handcuffs. You know what's It was I the know. very first episode. The first scene is them going into his apartment. Really? I probably I probably caught later episodes. Yeah. It was is it's just super problematic how ice moves. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, it's infuriating, but it's a must see. Well, I haven't seen uh Ava DuVernay's film, 
Uh, they don't see us. They can't see us. Oh, that that was difficult. I'm not see- so, First of all, I've taught the book. Yeah. I've, I've taught have, the book to prisoners. I have to mentally prepare to watch oh, the. I'm those not putting things. myself through that. Because so, Immigration Nation, I I started off the first episode, and I could tell you that after the first ten minutes, I had to stop, mm. and I didn't come back for it for like after a few days. I was talking to Mariela about it, and I was like. I can't watch this. And she's like, you got to watch it. You got to finish it. It's going to take you some time to get through it. I think it's about eight episodes. Um, yeah. Just speaking about the undocumented experience and how ICE and, and these people, I mean, they just basically laugh at us and they think it's, it's just a job. It's right. just. I'm just rationalizing it as I know, I know this government is doing horrible things, right? Mm-hmm. And I know that, and with that information, I know how to move. Um, so I'm not going to watch yeah. those films the same way uh, that I don't watch horror films. Because mm. life is already stressful. Why, why yeah, am well, I it's, it's, paying well, it's, to be stressful? It's your everyday life, Charlie. Yeah, it's so my everyday why, life. Why are you so going to watch it on there? You have to understand yeah. self-care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I you have it. to say, you know what? Like, I need a dose of something else. I get it. Um, and you read enough to know what's going on. Right. But um, for those of us who don't live that life. Yeah. You should watch it. You should you definitely should, watch it. You should definitely watch because it. Because you know what? At the end of the day... Whether I'm out there in the streets because of the work that I do, or you're out there in the streets because of the documentary that you saw, we're both out there in the streets. Yeah. And that's the most important thing. And the Ava DuVernay movie also, the documentary. Oh, yeah, that's, Her. come on, it won awards. Yeah. Shout out to the Dominican brother. Yeah. Right? So, you know, as far as film, I, I wanted to ask you, mm-hmm. have you seen uh, Love on the Spectrum? I started watching such that. Such a beautiful, um, such a beautiful because uh, I am Netflix wor- series. I'm working with someone who um, is writing a short, and he was telling me that he was watching it because he's he's working and in including on an autistic main character mm-hmm. in his short. So I was like, oh, I haven't really watched this, and I went um, on Netflix the other day and I started watching it, and I was like, wow, this is pretty. This is pretty. You know, it, it just shows Pretty you... interesting. But there there have been um, shows like that in the past with down, with people with Down, who have syndrome? down syndrome. Okay. Um, and parents being afraid of letting them be independent. Um, but to me, I just feel that people with autism just see the world differently. Like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't look at that as a disability. Yeah. Right, is, they yeah. just communicate differently. They and they they move in this world completely different. What I loved about that Netflix show, what I loved about it was that you saw how people are when they have no idea of the social implications. Mm-hmm. Yes. Of their words or actions. No filter. No, no inhibition. They're just no, telling yeah. you what they feel. Mm-hmm. There was there was this one show where the dude um, was was on a date with this with this young lady, and they both obviously had autistic uh, autism, mm-hmm. you know, because it's a part of the show, and um, you know, and they all vary yes, on, on like the where spectrum. they're at, mm-hmm. and so much of it, so much so much of it is influenced by how their how their parents yes uh, invested in their growth mm-hmm. and their in their development, yes. right? So yes. it also shows you, it tells you something else about humanity, mm-hmm. that the more we invest in, we expand, right? Obviously, so it's almost like the blind blind children, some parents, you know, 
don't some parents do everything from them mm-hmm. for them and the child doesn't grow up to be independent mm-hmm. but then you see blind people that are crossing the street and doing all kinds of things and they live by themselves and whatnot because their parent allowed them to figure out how to move in this world yeah. right know, and it's it's in the same in the same way with people with autism. That's funny, because today, you know, I'm a huge fan of Stevie Wonder. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I have this thing where I have spiritual advisors, mm-hmm. and I look at, um, I, I, I appoint uh, a person, yeah. a man or woman, you know, regardless of race, right, or culture or ethnicity, um, and I say, you know what, they have a characteristic mm-hmm. that I want to emulate. Yeah. You know, and Stevie Wonder's characteristic is his godly ability to celebrate love. Mm-hmm. Juan Luis Guerra is a spiritual advisor for me for his ability to articulate love. Because mm. he's a freaking Got poet. It. Got it. But Stevie Wonder is his ability to celebrate love. And I question whether because of his um, disability when it came to vision yeah. that his parents were extra loving because they knew yes. that touch was so important to him. And as a result of that, he's like this, he's emotionally intelligent. They nurture that. On steroids. Yeah. Yeah. So A lot um, of parents don't. They treat their kids like, like, like they, like their disability is what identifies who they are. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, there was this one comment on the love on spectrum that I found hilarious and it just shows again uh, just being completely raw, not caring about what people may think or may not think. Um, and I would imagine they make great writers, right? Mm-hmm. Great writers that are probably going to face criticism because, yeah. you know, we have the, yeah. you know, we have the, poli- you know, the, the writer police out there, mm-hmm. you know, serving as moral arbiters. Oh, please don't you know? get me started on those. I get emails all the time. You know, so yes, we're going to get to that <laughs> in a second. I know we've been here already for a while, but we're going to get to that. So there was this one time where... Um, the young lady uh, asked this young man who this was his first date that he's been on mm-hmm. and he's autistic. And, uh, and, and she asked him, well, this is your first date. He was like, yeah, this is my first date. You know, I'm trying to figure it out. You know, that was a 25 year old that has never been on a date, never been on a date. And this is what he says. He was like, yeah, you know, I wasn't sure the one that wants to get married him. No, it's th- this one. You know, when I say this one, you're going to remember who it is. Cause it was, it was hilarious to me. Uh, but I, but I love the moment because it was such a teaching moment for me. And he was like, um, yeah, so, you know, I didn't even know. Like, you know, yeah, I'm, a, I'm on a date with a, with a girl. But I don't, you know, I don't know. At, at some point I thought I liked guys. But then I saw gay porn and I didn't really like it. So, yeah, I'm not gay. And then I was like, wow, that is so honest. And the way he yeah. said it, like casually, as if like he was just ordering an appetizer. Say? I haven't gotten to the episode. What did she say? She was like, "Oh, okay, interesting." <laughs> you know, she was like, "Oh, okay." She received that because it's like they're just like unaware of mm-hmm. what society right. is telling right. them what to yes. do, what's associated with that statement, what's associated with being gay. Yeah. You know, not knowing that you know. You know, gay men or lesbians or transsexuals or transgendered people are consistently being harassed and frowned upon by society. No, this is what he yeah. felt. I thought I was gay, but then I saw gay porn. No, nah, I didn't like it. You know? Imagine. And I was like, wow. Like, if people can be that honest, you know? 
Yeah, I don't think that would work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, there was that one episode on, um, oh my God, Insecure. When Madi is dating the guy who is like bisexual or something, or he had another guy go down on him and he was just... And she wasn't having it. She wasn't having it. She wasn't having it. And it was this big discussion online. About, yeah, so men are more... um, open to women having experiences right. with other women, but you know, whether right. women are more open to that. Exactly. Yeah. And what do you what do you what do you say to that? I'm not gonna comment. Oh! <laughs> See? I'll tell you off the it's podcast. A, all right, all right. See, so so that's like like what do you think what do you think the issue is? Without you giving your opinion, what do you think the issue is? There? <laughs> I mean, just in the black community and Latino community, very homophobic. Um, we're very homophobic, right? Right, and there's always that double standard. Mm. But like, why is it that you think it doesn't? Right there, you know, homophobia is a real thing, but when it applies to men as opposed to women, men are in. It's complicated because we also have bisexuals, right? Right, and they're open in relationships, right. So had had he said he was bisexual, would that would have would have that been okay? Right. And would women? Or was it just the fact that he said I let a guy go down on me? So what was really the issue there? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, again, that and that's a good conversation to have because I, you know, I have bisexual friends that um, they. They, they think about it in this way where it's like, okay, what's up with that double standard where, you know, they may want to get married to a woman, but it's I not have, fully accepted in black and brown communities. as well who has experimented with men and now he's getting married to a right, woman. Right. So... I think, I think you just have to be honest with your partner, though. Exactly. You just have to be honest with your partner. Like, if... if and he was honest, but right. she just had she an issue ready. with She it. wasn't ready. And that's okay. That's okay. But, you know... Explore that in therapy, you know, <laughs> you know exactly. the same way that, you know, as a man, you would explore. Molly goes to therapy, though, but she's not really. Molly is a nut job, <laughs> but let's not even talk about Molly, you know, because I don't want to shit, you know, obviously she's smart, well, she's an, what, she's an attorney, right? Mm-hmm. She's an attorney, she's a horrible friend, but then again, Issa is not the best friend. Oh, also. I need to send you that video with, so, with Yvonne Orji um, interviewing Molly. Mm. You know, I'm not even... I think I finished the season, but, you know, I just caught on really late to, to Insecure. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's seasons that I haven't seen, and but I, I definitely saw the... the, the yeah. I definitely saw the last scene. Um, but shout out, you know, as if she's... Well, hopefully she listens to the podcast. Shout out to Issa Rae. <laughs> but um, last Dominican writer that I... Read? Read. You know what? But he doesn't have a book. But he just wrote a bit... On, on on Instagram, the bit about you know consent, um, which is my yeah. brother in arms, Claudio Cabrera. Claudio's he's working on his stuff. Ese tigre tiene fuego en la lengua. Mm-hmm. He is, he has some fire. Can't wait for him to publish I, um, something. I'm a huge supporter of, of Claudio's work, and every time I get a chance, I I publish him on our website and I send his. His writings to um, from the blog to our subscribers, and um, he wrote that one piece about um, I think he titled it um, Latinx Racist, mm. 
And it was that post that he wrote right after uh, the Dykeman thing. Right, the Dykeman, yeah, thing. And he expressed about how he has felt racism from other Latinos for being a dark Dominican. And it hit, and it hit. He, and um, I had an old school writer, Dominican writer, well-respected woman, um, send me an email um, asking me that I need to think twice about sending something out like that. Why? Yeah, because she felt triggered. Mind you, I respect this woman so much that it, as soon as I read this email, I'm going to show it to you after this so you can read it. After she sent me this email, I my first response was that I was ashamed because she was calling me, I did something wrong, mm-hmm. right? And then I'm like, I go back to Claudio's post and I'm reading it and I'm like, but everything that Claudio expressed in here has happened to him has happened to many of us so how is it that she feels that she could send an email and validating those feelings right and then i remember that she's an 80 year old white dominican woman right different generation different politics probably right so it did something it triggered something in her for her to respond in such a manner You know, and I sent it to my board members and I I was like, look, my first instinct was to respond and I wasn't going to be very (laughs) nice about it. Um, And they were like, no, leave it alone. We'll we will take care of it. Right. But it it was so I don't know. It was just so disappointing to know that she felt that way. And that means that Claudio did his job. Right. Because. Even though some of the stuff we publish might trigger some people, go evaluate that. That's not Claudio's issues to resolve. Right. Or my issues to resolve for you. You clearly felt a certain way, so you need to figure out why that triggered you. Right. Why are you so defensive? Because if you're not racist, why... Why does it bother you? Yeah, why does it bother you? Yeah. Right? And that's really what I wanted to say to her in, in so many words. But How did you respond to that email? I didn't respond to the mm-hmm. email. I left her on read. <laughs> can, I, can I help you formulate a response to that? Our bo- my How Claudio board, respond to my that? My board members are going to take care of it. They're a little bit more eloquent. And, right. you know, I'm still tight about it. Yeah, yeah. But so, you know, and, and the same writer just sent an, an email to us about our usage of Spanglish. You know, she, she she said, you know, I don't understand why your generation is out to destroy this language that we work so hard. What language? What language is she referring to? So she, she has an issue with us using Spanglish. You understand? But Spanglish, where does Spanglish come from? She feels, she's one of those people who feels that we speak in Spanglish because we don't dominate English and we don't dominate the Spanish. Okay. Right? But that's not the root of it. We're immigrants. We're we're learning a second language. Right? And when we're thinking, sometimes we can't find that word right. to replace it. And that's when we use Spanglish. Right. It's not that we don't dominate, you know, both languages. Right. And also, it's the code switching sometimes that we have to do. Yeah. And so, you're giving life to that code switching yeah, because and it's she, a real thing. She has a huge issue with us using Spanglish in our writing. So, you know what we're going to do? Well, keep, 
keep, you know, I think, we're, I think she needs to be reminded. We're hosting a panel discussion during the Dominican Studies Conference in November about the usage of Spanglish in our writing. I think she should also be reminded that in the arts, um, it's anti-artistic uh, so, to suppress voices yeah. and expressions no, from others. Dominican writers of the older generation are very elitist. And they feel that... Um, writing should be done in a certain way. For example, they're not a supporter of Josefina Baez because Josefina doesn't write the way she should be writing. Like, as you read that, you saw all the... She uses a lot of... Um, refranes. Refranes, Palabra de la Calle, right. um, the expressions that she uses, you know, hey, esta you know, a lot of um, street vernacular, and that's not acceptable by older generation Dominicans. And this is one of the reasons why we haven't bridged that gap. Mm. Because one, Dominican American writers, we mostly write in English. That's another issue. Why are you not writing in Spanish? You're Dominican, right? If, if we're hosting an event or whatnot, why are you not doing this, this in Spanish? We have people who come on on our Facebook page and just go off mm. about, you know, why are we not doing this in Spanish? And I have to explain to them what our platform is. Right. And our platform is for Dominican-American writers of the diaspora and the creative genre. Right. So it, it's sometimes... I get into these conversations with people and other times I'm just like, I don't feel like having this argument with you today. Yeah. It's, you know, it's disheartening, but it's also very indicative of how complex our, our identity is um, when it comes to being Latino and becoming a Latino writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, because not only... Are we dealing with Latinos that were educated differently under yeah. different systems mm-hmm. uh, and generations? We're also dealing with Latinos that may have come from a different migration experience, uh, different uh, class status, Definitely. Uh, migrated for different reasons. Definitely. Um, so it's, you know, and also they may not have subscribed to the black diaspora uh, experience because there has been, you know, there has been nothing laid, like everything has been laid underground, um, you know, giving light to that because institutions didn't give light to that. So they're blindly going by what they were, you know, what they were taught in institutions without understanding how many voices were kept out. And that to me is a blind, uh, is, is a blind spot. And that's even more of a reason why these books Books have to be written by by prolific will, writers like will, Claudia. Like Claudia, you will never see them promote a book by a Dominican American writer. Interesting. So, so they would never so promote for, a book for Juno like uh, uh, Diaz, even like though he won the Pulitzer Prize. Elizabeth Acevedo is right. has won international awards, and now you see the Listing Diario talking about Elizabeth. Like they published something um, a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago, and it's not the first time they, that they write about her. Um, so now they're like the younger generation gives a recognition, mm-hmm. but the older generation just glosses over it. 
Interesting. So this, this seems to me like it's a similar tension that Puerto Ricans and New York Ricans had. Um, in a way, yeah. In a way. Obviously, mm-hmm. the context was different. Mm-hmm. The culture was different. Uh, what, what New York Ricans had to deal with yeah. was different. Um, you know, things are a lot easier for us. The drug epidemic didn't, yeah. you know, aren't, is not hitting us as hard. Um, but, but yeah, it, and it's like, okay, so you're not aligning with how we're talking. Are you aligning with, how, yeah. with what we're believing in? Mm-hmm. Like, in the causes that we believe in and why we're protesting? You know, Dominican-Americans, and you and I, we've oh, had this no, conversation. Oh, no, they stay out of it. I mean, the older generation of writers, are, they stay out of it. It's like we live in two different worlds, Charlie. That's what I'm saying. Um, what's our role as Dominican-Americans? What's, what's our role? Or do you think, first of all, yes. Yeah, like, I would I would answer my own question. We could write about whatever the, we feel like, it, mm-hmm. you know, like, we shouldn't be boxed in for anything, yeah. right? But... Do you see enough Dominican-American writers uh, talking about Dominican politics in a way that is, uh, you know, respected by uh, Dominican-born writers? So so am I able, as a Dominican-American, do you think there is love there, or not love, but respect there, that if I go to, you know, if I write about the Dominican Republic and I say, you know what? These policies are these policies are discriminatory. These policies are ineffective. These policies are this, that, and the mm, third. But you need to remember, you're dealing with an older generation that, like you said, um, still uphold Trujillo, still uphold Balaguer. But you know what's crazy? Right. I, I have family members that never upheld Trujillo, mm-hmm. but they're upholding. Uh, pretty racist policies in the DR. So it goes even beyond the region. Yeah, it does. You know, and when you hear them talk about Mm -hmm. their country, about their super nationalism, right? They sound like Trump supporters in, 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 you know, St. Augustine, Florida. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like, okay, like, can't you see? They were in our DMs when we were protesting. (laughs) The Dominican nationalists. That group is is so hateful, and they're not about having a conversation. They're not opening to listening and having a conversation. They just want to tell you what it is. Well, they say really nasty things like... this one guy told me that I he hoped Danilo never let me back into the country. And I was like, well, Danilo could shove the R up his... That's what uh-huh. I basically yeah. said to him. And I blocked them, and I, I I block all these people. And then you have folks that create pages just so they could, you know, destroy whatever you've created. You right. you, just because built. your politics so don't align we, with theirs. So we have people in, in our community who are out there... Um, you know, rooting for equality and and talking about it, we we have Saudi Saudi Garcia in the DR um, talking about you know Haitian and Dominican um, um, relationships, and mm-hmm. and they will take Saudi's pictures and put it on a flyer and talk about her and just you do YouTube conversations um, about how she's vendiendo uh, la patria. And, these are, and, but these are Dominicans that are in the states. Or Dominicans. Oh are no, Dominican they're Republic. here. Really, they're here. For example, we recently Amanda Alcantara and I recently um, um, hosted a Wikipedia project because we want to include Dominican history in Wikipedia. Mm. When you go 
when you Google anything Dominican, Wikipedia is not the first thing that comes up because our history is barely there. So we're creating this project and getting a, a group of people to start including Dominican history. So we had a training session. But these people, these Dominican nationalists, when they saw the flyer that we posted, they said that we were trying to rewrite history. Mm. And I'm like, where do you get that from? We said include our history on Wikipedia. Where do you get that we said rewrite history? You know, and then they they went into Wikipedia and I guess they found some posts and then they said, oh, they already started rewriting our history. This person, so and so, and they'll print the person's name who edited that Wikipedia page and they'll send their their, you know, their followers to these people's pages. Really? I didn't didn't think that was the case. (laughs) Yes. It's crazy. They show up to events. I've been to events at Word Up um, with Ana Belique, who Ana was arrested recently because she was doing a Black Lives Matter protest in DR. Mm. And she was arrested. By, where, where in DR? Um, I think it was in La Capital. And she was arrested with, with her friend by people of her complexion. Right. And they, you know, when you look her up, you'll see videos on YouTube talking about Ana Velike and, and if she wants to protest, she needs to go to the, the U.S. Black Lives Matter it shouldn't exist here. Oh, no, because you don't have a problem with the with <laughs> Haitian. You don't have a problem with Haitian no, Dominicans, they, Haitian Haitians? No, the Haitians are destroying us. Oh, it's that's, not us right, to them. Right. Listen. Mind you, we've had lynchings of Haitians in the DR, but they don't. You know, that's right. not mentioned. Right. That's not mentioned. And, you know, what's mentioned is the same thing that's mentioned um, when when Trump supporters talk about Mexicans and, you know, immigrants taking jobs. Yeah. Uh, that's a, it's the same rhetoric. And it's sad because these same Dominicans it come here and they sad. suffer the same way Haitians suffer in the island. Yes. But, yes. but my, my thing is. Like Cardi B said, we're all minorities here. We all in the same home when we come here. As we treated, we are treated like the African Americans, as well. The cops aren't asking us if we're Dominican. Right. Exactly. You know what? And Juno Diaz also received some backlash for right. being critical of Dominican yes. politics, mm-hmm. and he was called. Uh, uh, and of course, Juno, because he was born here, he's Dominican American. They no, people, no, no. He was born in DR. Was he? Yeah, yeah. He came. He was like six yeah, or he seven. Yeah, he came when he was very yeah, young. Yeah. But were you the, born here? Or you were born in. DR? I was born in DR. But the do, way do people. Oh, you got the vacuna imprint. Which side is it? Oh, it blended. See, that's that good American lotion that blends. It, it. was very. Por ahí anda. Oh yeah, I see it. I see it. I see it. Where? Right there. Right there. It's like a little tart. No, I can't Bacuna. see it anymore. Scar. But um. But people feel that because we're raised here in the U.S., we have no say in Dominican politics because we're not experiencing everyday life in the DR. Right. So we should just stay out of it. Right. It's, a, it's almost You know, this like, is why Cardi got a lot of backlash recently because she was talking about politics in DR. And, and she reposted one of the pictures from our protests with the with the Haitian that. and I Dominican flag right. um, unified and forget it. After that, the Dominican nationalists came out and she's like, oh, ella quiere unir la isla. When did she say that? Yeah. She just said we should all get along. But right. they make up their own you know their own story and it's it's pretty sad it, it but it's sad. frightening when you see them in person because they just come in a group 
of people and is and they're just like banging on doors and windows and shouting at you. It's never to have a civil conversation with you. Right. Right. And, you know, and I think we have to understand as Dominican American writers um, what we're up against. Right. And we're up against a culture that has never experienced uh, the civil rights movement the way yes, we know yes. in this country. Mm-hmm. So we also have to uh, understand our our benefit, our privilege, mm-hmm. if you will. You know, right. this American privilege that we yes. have, uh, these rights given, you know, even though, look, this country is wilding out right now. But we have to be at least honest about the rights, freedoms of expressions that we have. And to some extent... The stability of a government, like you can understand, you know, like typically a government is not going to take right. a property away or or, um, you know, if, if, if a politician is is caught stealing, he's, you know, you would like to think, you know, you just have more confidence that in this country mm-hmm. they would be held accountable. Right. And the Dominican Republic is not the case in the Dominican Republic. Uh, there's not, you know, even though there's advocate groups and I'm sure you're, uh, you know, you're affiliated with some um, advocate groups on the island. But they don't have the strength in numbers the way yeah. black America, uh, you know, has here in this country, you know. And um, and it, they're also, you know, the thing about racism and DR is that it's so embedded in our in our in our psychology um, for many reasons, whether it was Trujillo's dictatorship where, you know, if you were a dark-skinned Dominican, yeah. you better learn how to say certain words because you didn't want to be confused for yeah. Haitian. Um, you know, also, you know, class status, you always saw the lighter-skinned Dominicans, yeah. uh, you know, obtaining certain positions. Like, race was, to some extent, survival. And the thing is that it wasn't a clear distinction. Yeah. So you always felt that, no, I can achieve that status because I'm not black. Yeah, you know, and so you try to distance yourself from that. I as was much watching as an interview the other day, and the guy was like saying, "Aquí en la República Dominicana no existe el racismo. Mm-hmm. El racismo fue lo que los negros, eh, you know, vivieron en los tiempos de Jim Crow. <laughs> you know, um, that you had to sit in the back of the bus, that you couldn't drink for certain water fountains. He's like, we we've never experienced that. There's no racism here. Yeah, we sure. have a we have a class issue." But we don't have racism. Okay. Listen, I, I remember <laughs> I remember when this was the only time that this happened to me where uh, a person was being thrown rocks at them because of the color of their skin. And this was in DR. Cuando, you know, my mother, again, used to send me to San Francisco de Macorís, and I saw, you know, Dominicans that were the same complexion as Haitians throwing rocks at Haitians. Mm. I'm not saying all Dominicans are like that. All I'm saying is that that was the first time that I saw it happen in the country. Yeah. You cannot tell me that racism does not exist in that country. And, and and my thing is, like, there's so much tension with Haiti. And I know we're going all over the place here. Yeah. <laughs> but, but there's so much tension with Haiti over, you know, the argument is, oh, there's a strain of resources uh, but, you know, even Dominicans don't have resources. So that's right. not right. That's not even, you know, uh, right. whether Haitians were there or not, you know, that's not even a, a, a great argument to have right now. Mm-hmm. You know, because you've said it as a Dominican that the politicians are thieves. Right. So fix that problem. Mm-hmm. Okay? So it's not trickling down for reasons. It's not because there's Dominican Haitians or Haitians in the island. I mean, that, again, right. I'm not from there. I know I may be speaking from my limited 
ignorance. Yeah, my mother was asking me the other day what I felt, how I felt about the new president. I'm like, who? Yeah. I'm like, mommy, I think I've only seen like one interview of the the previous candidate and and the new president. I don't think I I saw an entire interview about him. But I was like, I'm not as that well informed to yeah. make. Yeah. You know. You know, and again, like. I can be, yeah, like, I'm, I'm sure. Like, we I'm trying to keep up with the damn politics in the U.S. Years, you know, <laughs> and, and obviously, and I'm trying to keep up, but I'm, I'm, but I'm always turning off the TV, so yeah, am I, mean, I really keeping up with it? Today, I was like, oh, the DNC is happening. Let me go, you know, watch, right. you know, some of the videos, and I watch Obama's speech, and Clinton's, Hillary Clinton, who, up, oh, my God. When she ended her speech with Black Lives Matter... <laughs> I was like, did she just do that? Mm. The super predator lady? You know what my stance is. Yeah, exactly. People involved. You know what my stance is on that. I believe the same thing, Charlie, but you know, that, that hit me differently when I know, she said that. I know, I know. But, you know, culture influences people. and You know, but, um, yeah, and I, and I listened to Obama's speech, and I'm like, I'm trying to catch up so I could vote. Right. I mean, I know who I'm going to vote for. But I still you wanted better. to inform myself, especially with Kamala Harris, who has a lot of problem, has a problematic past. Right. But for sure, as a prosecutor, she was right. But, she was horrible. But we got to vote. Right, and um, and I think, but when you look at, and again, like she's a flawed candidate, right? Um, but they you, they all you, are, because yeah, so is Biden. They all are. But when you think at, when you look at the um, the senators or the candidates. Um, that were talking uh, during the campaign or during the debates. Uh, to me, she appeared to be uh, one of the more progressives on criminal justice, and um, you know, which was obviously a different stance than what she had when she was a prosecutor. So, right, um, she has evolved as well. I hope. But you know what? I would put my trust in her. Yes. Then oh, Trump. oh, yes, we would. Okay. Yes, we will. You know, I don't you know. Steve Bannon got arrested today. Yeah, he was indicted for fraud, right? Fraud dealing with the wall. I was like, isn't that funny? Fall, yeah. Listen, we're living. He stole a few million dollars. We're living in unprecedented times right now. Um, so and I, I said, oh know. my God, you guys trusted this guy f- to, you know, collect this money for this wall. Do you think Trump is going to get indicted if he? Uh, for anything? I hope so. For something. Yeah. Something. Yeah. I don't know. Something. Yeah, yeah I think uh, there's a lot on them right now. And um, I think the feds are on them. Uh, but you know, how old is he? Can't do anything 77? How old is he? I'm not sure. 75, 77? They'll probably be lenient with him because of his age. I mean, they weren't lenient with Bill Cosby. <laughs> All right, but then again, obviously, we're d- talking about a different issue. But, yeah, you but know, they weren't. Still. They weren't leaning Trump with was her. out there grabbing pussies, saying, or I doubt it. Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein is probably going to go to jail for a while. But I still doubt whether Harvey Weinstein is Harvey going to Weinstein is going to die very soon. Yeah. I don't think he's going to last too long. His money is going to help him uh, figure out a way not to end up in prison. Mm. I hate that I'm saying this right now. Um... But he has staunch supporters. And um Did you see his documentary? Oh yeah, I saw it. I saw it, yeah. How you know, about what created Donald mm-hmm. Trump. Um, yeah, you know, I, and I just now don't think Epstein, um, 
The lady was saying. Oh, she's speaking out. I don't know what she's yeah. speaking out about. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, I know she's speaking out. Again, I've been trying oh, to stay she's away still, from Now TV. she's just putting out all the evidence that she has on Prince Andrew. And apparently she has a lot of evidence. So she's like, that picture wasn't photoshopped, and that wasn't the first time that he was with that girl. He had many orgies on that island with underage women. Right. Interesting. But I wonder what's going to happen to him. Mm. And him? I'm, I'm wondering if she's being protected. Listen, again. I don't want her to show up dead like Epstein did. There's a lot, you know. Because we all know that was an inside job. Right. Um, well, you know, yeah. I mean, there's, there's many people that believe that. I think... I need to get more information on that. Um, you know, I've never been uh, like a conspiracy theorist, and I'm not saying this is a conspiracy yeah. theorist, but it just made sense that so many people were, you know, were about to be affected yep. by what he had to say. Many people went with power, many he, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's just, it's a shame. You know, what I really am concerned about is whether Trump, what do you think? Do you think Trump is going to willingly give his power away if he was to lose the election? Absolutely not. Mm. So what do you expect? Trump has a huge ego. Mm. He's not going to go down easy. I don't expect anything, any of this to go down easily. Yeah. He's going to create another one of his, you know, because he makes up his own stories, too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the interview with John, with, um, John Wallace was. I'm not sure. <laughs> and he, he was saying, you know, um, Wallace was telling him that we have the highest rate of coronavirus deaths. And he's like, no, we don't. And he got some paper to try to, you know, prove it to him. And and there were other things that Wallace brought up to his attention that because he lies. Right. He makes up his own conclusions. Yeah. And about that's a, you know, he's a spin doctor. Yeah. And, and that's and that's why he has been so successful. Um, well, we remember that there was a document. I, I don't know if you've seen the Netflix documentary called Dirty Money. They have an episode on Trump and how he became Donald Trump. That's that's the one that I thought you were referring to before, um, where they they talk about all the shady business dealings. Yeah, also, that. And there, there's the part in the documentary when um, they speak about how he used to pay the media to write these stories about him, that he was a millionaire, but he wasn't. There's a lot. Listen, honestly, we can't keep up with Trump. We would. This is exactly what they want us to do so that they can continue running their campaign. And we're like, you know, not figuring out about solutions. Let's not give him any more time on this podcast. Exactly. That man does exactly. not deserve. You know who we should give more time to? Who? Other Latino writers. Yes. Which uh, the first Latino writer, Dominican, not, in, not even Dominican, the first Latino American writer that I read um, that prepared me for Juno Diaz. Guess who he was? If you can think about a similar author that is somewhat, you know, very um, urban in his writing. Willy Perdomo? No, not Willy Perdomo. Was Willy Perdomo published back then? He was from East Harlem. Petrie? A P- P- Ernesto Quinones? Ernesto Quinones? Bodega oh. Dreams? Yes. Yeah, to me that novel was thrilling. Well, uh, yes. It definitely prepared me for Juno Diaz. Uh, he also wrote Chango's Fire. Yeah. Um, I see those books on there. Yeah, you know, I look, I remember his characters were all different. He did a really good job with his characters. They were all different, yeah. interesting, but yet familiar. Um, he was an Ecuadorian descent brother from um, East Side, um, East, East Harlem, 
also Piri Toma. And you read that on your own? Yeah, I read that on my own. I read that on my own. I, I think my boy gave me the book. And he was like, yo, check this out. And I read it, and I was like, dope. Like, this is, th- that made me, that book made me become a fan of, of fiction. And that was your first Latino author? That was the first, that was my first Latino author. Wow. Yeah. But I got dreams. Yeah. So, in college, in your In 20s. college. In college. Um, and then, and then I read, um, you know, one of the goats, Piri Tomas. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Down These Mean Streets. Yeah. You know, he was my, he was my first experience in learning about Afro-Latino culture and literature. Um, you know, he was, uh, but Cuban, mm-hmm, but you didn't Puerto know Rican. it was Afro-Latino back then. No, I didn't know. I didn't know it was Afro-Latino back then, but he was definitely, that was his thing, which I appreciated for, because he brought up, like, look, like, I wasn't, like, he denied that he was black mm-hmm. for for so many years in his he childhood. He was Boricua, right? He was half Boricua, half Cuban. Mm. But he was, you know, he was raised in a Puerto Rican neighborhood, so right. he definitely identified, um, well, you know, I would be... Assuming here, but you know, you can see why he would identify with the New Yorican culture, mm-hmm. um, and you feel the New Yorican vibe in, in down these means, you know, down these mean streets. Um, I was fortunate to meet him once. Um, unfortunately, uh, I think JP told me that he passed away uh, not too long ago, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah. So again, we talk about these writers, and we briefly spoke about it before. What do you think about writers that do not read? Or at least are honest about their lack of reading. They should be ashamed for saying that. They should that. be ashamed, honestly. Because I don't, I, I, that doesn't have any logic with me. How right. could you work on your craft and not read? Okay. But because you know what? To me, Let's say I, they don't say it, but like when you, when you talk to them about literature, they just haven't read any books. I haven't, you know what? I haven't met any writer as of yet that, who would tell me that, mm. that they don't read. Um, we emphasize a lot that it is important to read, 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 because as you read, you're learning about everyone else's form of writing right. and you're learning things about books. Like I went before I self-published, I bought a lot of poetry books from my friends who were also self-publishing. And I studied these books from the way they were including their bio or the table of contents or page numbers, you know, um, how they were formatting the book how they were expressing themselves in the book. I was reading and studying all of it. So reading is a form of studying. Not just reading about the craft, but reading the craft. Right. And also, like, and why you do that is to refine your perspective. Of course. And And you learn so so many things. Become a better writer. You write a book that I want to, you know, read. Um, so, right. you know, I just we, never understood that. Sometimes we have writers who feel like, oh, I don't think I could do this with my writing. And you bring out a book and say, look, she did it. Right. And this is what it looks like. Mm. Read it. See what it sounds like. Right. Read it out loud. <laughs> right. So how could you do that? How, how could I? It just doesn't make sense to me. It's just <laughs> someone that wants to be heard. Who said that saying, to you, Charlie? Who said they don't? Who they don't read? Well, no. JP mentioned that you know he's he's uh, met some some writers that really don't take the time out to read. Um, and and to me, and they're like, emerging and, writers. What do you mean emerging? Like they're just starting and to write. 
but they're but but they got into writing just for the purpose of writing without. So here's the thing: we have a, we have a lot of writers who are just starting to write. They start with writing journals. They start with writing poetry, and then they move into another genre, maybe short fiction or memoir okay. writing. Right, and a lot of them they just write. They're not taking. They're not paying attention to whether anything is written correctly or whatnot, and that's fine. But it becomes a problem when they feel that their writing is okay to go to publish without them having an understanding of the craft. Yeah. Right. We have a lot of writers that tell me, "I don't need an editor. It's poetry." Or just saw I know. I just saw I know. Yo, you know what? You should you should send that comment to the eighty-year-old uh, Dominican or, to see what she says. Right. To see both worlds we, come, we have, both worlds from the yeah, opposite ends have, collide. Or I'll tell you one story, which is one that I, I say very often. I had this one um, writer um, who had written this book about spirituality or whatnot, and she wanted us to publish us. And we don't publish those type of books, but I did tell her that I would help her um, format the book and whatnot. So mm-hmm. she sends me the manuscript, and it's about 80 pages long. So after I count the pages and I'm looking through the manuscript, I confirm with her, this is what you sent me. I have 80 pages. Mm. So she emails me, she calls me immediately and she's like, what do you mean you have 80 pages? And I said, well, you sent me 80 pages of a manuscript. And she's like, but my book was 300. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, so where's the rest? (sighs) And she goes that she gave the manuscript to her friend to edit. And she guesses that her friend cut out more than half of the book. And I said to her, well, didn't you look at it when she sent it to you so that you could question it? And I said, is your friend a writer? And she was like, well, no, she's a visual artist. Again, that's why Dominican Writers Association is so important. (laughs) So when she said that to me, I, I said to her, what understanding does a visual artist have of the writing craft? So what was the issue of getting an editor? Why couldn't that writer get an editor? Because some people skimp on it and they don't make the investment. How much How much is it for an editor to... It edit could go book? anywhere from $200 to $1,500 or more. It just depends on what you're editing. Right. If it's poetry, some people charge anywhere between $20 a page, $75 a page. It also depends who you're asking. Mm. Right. So but those are services that you should never skimp on, because if you want to put out a quality body of work, you need to invest in a professional editor. Of course. You have an editor that you go to? I have a few editors that I refer people to. Um, Just in the past few days, I've been emailing. People have been asking us for editors and I I have a list and I send them. And I'm also building a directory that people could just go on Dominican writers and search for editors different language or genre or whatever or you know whatever it is that their need is but there's also um websites like new york editors that is just editing services that you could look up but i since our stories are so unique i always tell people find yourself an editor that understands what you're writing about you know you know i think whenever i think about literature right like Literature from, like, Europe, for example, right? Mm-hmm. It's so rich. Yeah. Um, you know, um, from Great Britain or 
just you know from France, it's so rich because they have such an appreciation for the rules, for、mm-hmm. the principles,、yes. for the、yes. foundation. You could be as long as you respect the foundation. You could be、yes. who you want. Yes. You can't. You know, like again, and I always bring them up. I have a Michael Jordan metaphor for everything. <laughs> But MJ, they they just see this guy like wagging his tail, doing a whole bunch of reverse dunks,、um, you know,、uh, hitting buzzer beaters. But but Jordan practice on the basic、yeah. fundamentals.、Yeah. You gotta respect the game. Before yes, you get all yes, crazy yes, and 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 step into that greatness,、mm-hmm. and the fact is that if you don't do that,、mm-hmm. it shows a lack of what's、respect. the word? Like a lack、It's、of respect. It's a lack of respect for the craft. And it I mean, also shows that you're lazy. There's some writers who are just bold as hell、mm. with their writing, who feel that、oh, yeah, their work doesn't need to get edited. And I remind people, I was like, you think that Angie Cruz doesn't get edited? You think that Elizabeth Acevedo's work didn't get edited,、mm-hmm. or all these big name Roxanne Gay and all these other big time authors that we read? You think their work is not getting edited?、Right. Guess what? Before their book gets published, they have to go through an editorial team. Of course, there's an editorial team. Angie, most of my books, most of the books that I really love, if you go to the first pages, the author is usually saying, "We fought it out." You know, but thank、yeah. you to my editor. I hated you for、right. many moments during the、yeah. process of writing this book, but we did it. We, you know, we helped each other. Thank you so much for your help. There's a struggle there. Embrace that struggle. You know, it's in it's in your interest because、yeah. sometimes you have to get out of、I、your head. I know people are are afraid that editors are going to just, you know,、um, kill your darlings. Right. But, they, but there's also the positive side that an editor is going to give you guidance, and an editor is going to help you improve your craft. They're、right. going to read that and tell you, "Hey, if you add this or you change this and make it sound like this, it might read better." Right? Or, or you, know? you know, but you know, for that, it takes you actually sharing with the editor how you want to,、yes. uh, dis- you know, how you want to portray your work,、right. so that the editor knows. You know, like your vision. If you don't share that vision, yes, the editor right is going to go、right. there and do something that you really don't like. The editor is not your. He's going to change it up. He's they're、right. your teammate. Right now, on the other end of the spectrum, I do understand、uh, this argument about isolating yourself in the creative process, right?、Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going back to like. You know, not reading other people's stuff, right?、Mm-hmm. Or not seeking feedback. Like、yeah. you just want to be, you just want to tap into your、yeah. own voice. And I get that.、Mm-hmm. Um, you know. And speaking of isolation, it reminds me of、uh, an experience that I had with with Juno Diaz. Yeah.、Um, I met Juno、uh, briefly at、uh, the New York State Bar Association dinner. It was、the、a banquet. People gonna come at you for naming Juno so mu- so much at、really? this podcast. Like like、uh, like fans of Juno or like <laughs> the haters. Haters of Juno? Yeah, because you know he has yeah, the Me Too movement. For,、um, Charlie, you forget that Juno is out of the game because of the Me Too movement. He, he's out of the game. Yeah, well, Juno is no longer writing anymore. He's, he's no longer writing. Oh my God, Charlie! <laughs> no, seriously, seriously, didn't he come out with the with the book after that? No, Charlie. He, he came out with a children's book. No. It. He had. He published the children's book one week, and the Me Too movement、um, debacle happened a week later. Okay, all right. So, and the children's book did not sell much because of it. Really, 
And I've also seen him like in interviews, uh, interviewing Toni Morrison. Yeah, but those are very old. Yeah, obviously, Toni Morrison interviews. died. Oh, great, Wonderful great interviews. interviews. Um, so I didn't know that that had. Look, yeah, listen. So look, I go by what I've read. The writing community is not embracing Juno until really? Juno comes back with his tail between his legs and apologetic and has a conversation about his problematic behavior. Right, so, what happened to the Pulitzer Prize committee? Did they, because I, I think they cleared, they, them. they cleared them, they reviewed Everyone it. Everyone cleared them. Oh, okay. So. All the organizations cleared them. Okay. All right. So, you know, there's just well, this except, thing. Except one, but. What, Dominican no, Writers no, Association? No, or? no, not us. But Ooh, what, what organization? I'm not, I'll have this conversation with you. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I want to know what's happening out here. Like, um, okay, so he's not so cleared by to, a I certain to, organization. Um, Juno Diaz founded VONA. Which right. is um, uh, something writers, writers of color. They do a, a retreat or something, a yes. writers retreat. Yeah, exactly. Um, and when this all went down, a lot of um, writers came out and speaking against his behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, writers. I saw that there was a petition. He was a faculty member, and he was also one of the founding fathers of the organizations. And many women expressed that his behavior was problematic. Okay. Um, during his, during the time that he was working with the org, right. so a lot of things have been said behind the scenes of things that you know have okay. happened, um, and he's no longer with the org. He separated from himself from something that he was passionate about and that he founded, so right. that it could survive on its own. Okay. So he's, you know, this had to disassociate himself from it. Um, and the first in 2018, because his issue happened in May. So 2018, I think that year they didn't hold the residency. Mm-hmm. And I think they didn't do so last year either. But this year was the first year that they came back and and held the, the, the retreat right. virtually. So, um, but this is based off of that one incident, or based off multiple incidents. Well, based on everything that that's been written, because you know a lot of women came out and said that he was an asshole and that his behavior was problematic. There's a lot, a lot of articles were written, um, and also based on the allegations that you know women were making from the from that org. Right. So. Okay. I don't know. Right, so I just know about that one allegation. Mm-hmm. I don't know about the others. Um, so his career was affected, I guess. So he's not Gravely. writing any books. Even though he's a slow writer. He's, so a, he he's probably no just longer in the country. Years. He's no longer. Where the hell is this guy? I'll tell you later. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. So, but he's a slow writer. So I think he writes a book every. No, he said it. So in 10 years, we'll get another. He said he, said he writes yeah, a book every it, But he's not going to be allowed to come back just like that. And it's it's curious because um, there's a org that I um, work with in the DR. They're called Cuenta RD, and they have a book club. And she's discussing the brief and wondrous life of Oscar Wilde. Mm-hmm. And I was telling her and asking her about what does the Me Too movement look in DR. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it doesn't exist because, you know, we have all this. All these problems um, out there. All these issues. Um with feminicide and whatnot in the DR, but um, I again, was telling again, DR has never seen the civil rights movement that right. we have yet. So, uh, but I was telling her about the issues that have happened here with Juno, and she was like, 
completely alienated from that conversation. So it's like DR upholds his writing. Writers from over there uphold his writing. And they're not aware too much of what's going on here with him. Right. So I think, you know, like, but look, I'm, I'm here and many of my, again, I'm not immersed in Dominican writing mm-hmm. writing circles, right? Yeah. Uh, I just go by the books, yeah. right? There's a lot of achievement. <laughs> I know, I, I can see, I can see. Um, you know, as as someone from the outside, um, I know there was problematic behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure. So, so you're saying that most people are saying that that warrants not supporting his book. Well, it was sexual harassment okay. and sexual so, so misconduct. This, okay, and the sexual misconduct dealt with him, again, you know, I'm trying to refresh my memory here. Um, he was trying to kiss someone? Yes, so okay. that first writer, that was her claim, that oh, he forced okay. to so kiss So there were many them. other writers that were saying that he tried to kiss them? That he tried other things with, yes. Like a... Okay, like a sucio, or he was like a. Get on sucio, okay, you know, had women sitting on his lap, you know, things like that. Okay. Um, yeah, those are the allegations. All right, well, hopefully, uh, you know, he comes back and pretty much. I, I cannot embrace. Gains you know, favor. Um, without him having a conversation about right. it. Right. I think his so next book I'm has to grapple how he's with gonna that. come back from this. His next book has to be based on what you're telling me, has to feel like it's bell hooks <laughs> writing it as an underwriter. <laughs> like Bueno. Yo no sé this. No, you don't think he, he's capable of writing something like I that? I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. Really? Well I hope you know, because look, at the end of the day I think he's He's going to therapy writer. though. That's good. You know, we're all works in progress. So maybe his therapist is helping him through. We're all works in progress. I just, you know, I just... Because, uh, you know, know, a week prior to the allegations, he came out with his own um, sexual abuse. Yes, um, he did. I remember that. I remember that. Um, yeah, I think, again, I come from, I come from, you know, the background of reformative justice. So... Um, I'm the type of person that I walk around and I which some people have a difficult time. A difficult times with. Um, it, you know what? It, it takes it takes work to get yeah. there. You know because you also have to um, come to grips. We also yeah. I I feel sometimes that we have to think of it like we do of ourselves. If we're able to grow, why don't you allow right? someone else? Why to grow? isn't someone else allowed to grow? Right, and you know, and it's just like a like why should I be defined based on one chapter? Right. You know, uh, you know, and I again, I've taught in prisons, right? And not to bring it back to, I taught in prisons, and I've seen men doing thirty, forty years for crimes that they committed when they were nineteen. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like your life has been defined. You don't even know who you are at nineteen. You don't. You don't. You don't. And you know, and that's not also bringing into other allegations outside of the criminal justice system, because in the criminal justice system, people. You know, your accuser comes in and they show evidence and you go through that whole motion. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, in other settings, it's different. Like, there's no rules. And um, uh, you need to, um, you really need to address yourself and you need to address others. Um, but you have to do the work. 
And again, one of the reasons why I do, you know, I do meditation, one of the reasons why um, I do therapy is because I know that I'm flawed and that other people are flawed. I'm doing therapy not because I'm flawed, but I'm doing therapy for the people that need therapy, that don't have a therapist, but I'm engaging with on a on a daily basis, you know, Um, you know, and I just believe in, in, in really in this concept of just like. All right, like, let's have a conversation. This is how you hurt me. You know, okay, let's start from there. You know, let's start from a place yeah. of reconciliation, you know. Um, you know, I, I have a, you know, I'm not going to name his name, but um, I have a friend that, you know, got put away for a long time and came out and um, after doing many years and the uh, the relative of that of that person which he committed a you know a crime against mm-hmm. um, saw him on the street and this is after he's done like many years mm-hmm. in prison and he's like a reformed dude like mm-hmm. you know super bright intelligent um, graduating from the universities with honors mm-hmm. totally changed his life and um, and the circumstances were also. You know, the circumstances were what they were, right? Okay. Um, you know, putting yourself in, you know, in a situation when you're 19, 20, where you don't have control of your senses and everything, it's a, it's a tough place to be in, right? right. Um, but you have to, you know, you know, he had to, like, uh, be accountable, and he was held accountable for mm-hmm. that. And, um, and that situation bothered him a lot because he's also a human, and he went through many years, and I don't want to tell his story here, but he met this other person that was related to, you know, the victim. And, um, and, he, and he told me that, she, you know, this person looked at him and he was in shock, not knowing how this person was going to react. And this person just walked up to him and hugged him and said, I love you. I forgive you. Some mighty words. And he said that was the best day he's ever had. You know, and they both hugged each other um, just like in tears. So, and he's learned so much from that. And there's nothing that he can do to take back what, what happened. But he's a completely different person. And, um, you know, again, and I don't want to go too, I've already gone too deep into it, but I feel like this is how, this is what I see yeah. on a daily basis, you know, like, um, and people are also we have weird. our own traumas, and it's very is difficult for us to um, believe in restorative justice. Right. Yeah. Some of us want to be angry for the rest of our lives. Yeah, but you know what? That's right, what so if you're angry, fuels us, so, right? So, but we're in the in a situation right now where we have a group of people saying you should be angry. Mm-hmm. Let that anger fester with you know inside of you, and it doesn't matter how it affects others. You were wronged. You should be angry. You have a right to be that. Whatever your process is, it is what it is. Yeah. But then you have another group of people that say what? I understand that you're angry, but it's also your responsibility to heal. Right. Right. Correct. Because you don't want to be that person that hurts people because you were hurt. Right. Because then you just become a part of that vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's those are tough conversations that we have to have with ourselves. Honestly, 
I can honestly tell you, I don't have a grudge against anyone. I've forgiven everyone that has done anything wrong to me. You know, but it took work. Yes, yeah, it certainly does. It took work. It took trips to the mountain by myself. You know, and I'm metaphorically, but you know, yeah. like me being isolated, sitting yeah. with my thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, putting myself in that person's shoes, under that person's environment, with that person's parents, with that person's level of education. Right. You know. Not yeah. Not everyone does that. You know, Very so, difficult to get to that place. What I'm saying, I want to see a society where we could look at something, and JP and I, we brought it up the other day, where we see a heinous crime in our community, and we don't go from prison reform all of a sudden to put those guys away for life. Because now you're inconsistent. Yeah. I wish that all prisons um, gave therapy to all the inmates. Listen, some of my... Students who are brilliant, 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 sensitive human beings, like one of the, you know, some of the most wonderful people that I've ever met are in prison. And many of them come from communities where they weren't given adequate education. Mm-hmm. And yes. the first time, victims of their environment. the first time that they were given any type of quality education was in prison. Mm-hmm. You know, so how do you think that makes me feel walking out of prison knowing that those were the cards that were dealt to them, but they can't walk out of the prison the same right. way I can. You know, so again, a lot goes into it. So yeah. I'm also looking at it from my yeah. profession, right? So also I'm very open to listening from I'm very open to listening to people that say, you know what? No. Um, I believe in cancel culture, this, that, and the third. I'm open to dialogue. Right, yes. However, me, the way I carry myself, I just believe people are works in progress. That's it. You know, if I was judged based on who I was when I was 16, 17, rocking braids, shoelaces to match, the hat, you know, it, you know, people would have been like, he would have never been an attorney. Yeah, you know? I've seen those pictures. Yeah, you know, they're there, <laughs> they're there. But, um, but yeah, so... Can I say my little Juno Diaz story, which, which involved isolation? Sure, go ahead. Okay, so I met him at the banquet, and um, and I think you know all in I remember. Um, I was in, like I was like uh, maybe a first year attorney. Okay. And um, and I go to this banquet, and he particularly was interested in me having a conversation. I think with a goddaughter that was there because she wanted to go to law school. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a conversation, and you know, um, it was cool. I think she en- ended up eventually going to law school. Um, I graduated from law school, you know, well, I had graduated from law school already when I, when, I, when I met him. Anyway, so I'm an attorney. I'm thinking about opening up a practice. I'm thinking about enterprising. And, um, but I'm also, like, this passion for writing, this, this, you know, this interest in writing becomes even bigger and more, you know, like, piercing, so I said, you know what? I'm going to reach out to Juno Diaz. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to reach out to him and I'm going to tell him. I'm going to volunteer my services. Um, so I write to him. I was like, Juno, what's up? We met at this bank. If you ever need me. If you, and this was like, <laughs> all right, for, by the way, this was before if me too. you to, ever have sexual allegations against you. <laughs> see? Damn. This was before all that, by the way. This was before all that. So, I, you know, I tell him, I was like, look, um, you know, I'm such and such. You met me at such and such place. Uh... 
you know, I'm really interested. Um, I'm an aspiring writer. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm really interested in volunteering my services to you. Uh, they can be for researching. I'm, I'm good at that. I also have a, the, the work ethic of an attorney. So, you know, you can also rely on me um, to, to be there right. at any time that you need me to help you with this research. Because at the time I was following him on, on Facebook mm-hmm. and he was always posting, uh, yeah. uh, you mm-hmm. know, uh, just like pieces, articles yes. on Facebook. So it was like he was doing a lot of research. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's why I emailed him that. And um, no lie, if I was to say 10 minutes passed, I would be overestimating. Juno pretty much responded to my request to be a fly on the wall and said something to the effect of, right? I don't want to misquote him. Charlie, yes, I remember who you are. Thank you for reaching out. However, I must let you know I live in Recluse. He lives in what? In Recluse. Why did he say that? Pretty much he was saying, because obviously I have to think about it, right? Because I was was just staring at this email. And he's saying that he's he's isolated. Right. Like this is how he... What year was this? I don't remember. Probably like in the 14, 14, 15 14, 15s. But what does that have to do with this word? What does that have to do with this word? But anyway, so, but, but, but in that response, I took a message. And you know what that message was? Just do the damn work. Stop worrying about what other people are doing. Stop worrying about following anybody else. Got it. Just do the damn work. Okay? So, so that's what I took from that. Um, but anyway, so going now let, let's talk about what DWA provides because I know mm-hmm. um, you know these writers come to you to give them a platform um, what kind of dynamic does that create for you is it too much at times because writers are special people and if they love you they'll recite poems about you but if they dislike you they they'll dedicate a whole for, chapter yeah. in their book about you or drag you for filth on shows, social media right so how do you navigate that you just Say, you know what? Keep it professional. You know, this is what we're about. I have said I have had my Cardi B moments when I just go off on social media. Mm. Um, And I think that I'm probably the only org that does that. Mm. Um, I haven't seen any other get pissed off about things writers do um, or the disrespect that they may receive from writers and go off on social media. But I do. Mm -hmm. Um, And... Mainly, I provide through our platform what I would want as a writer, which is the writing workshops, the information about publishing in the traditional and non-traditional manner, um, holding these conversations with authors um, and having these panel discussions. We also have the writers conference. So it's a lot of content and a lot, and a lot of programming that we offer them, but, you know, and the majority of them are grateful, but every so often you get one or two who just feel a certain way about right. something. And, and you just have to deal with it. You know, and I just I just have to deal with it. But when it comes to common, then I address it. Right. Because, right. um, you know, I've always looked at it as, especially in, in my, in, in, in writers, right? With uh, I mean, in my relationship with writers, they write about everything that they, that they feel, that they yeah. experience. Um, and it's like, okay, like you can end up on a page, 
because uh, you're constantly looking for content. I go off on social media sometimes, and I and I save the the lives, and then later on, I'm just like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But it had to be said. But I right. shouldn't have done that. That's but I okay. cursed. But I shouldn't have done that. Listen. But what are people gonna say about the platform? But the people needed to know. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like one of my board members tells me, Angie, you're very quick to go on Instagram Live. You know, like the the other day we posted something about a queer anthology that we're putting together and and um this one person had a, a big issue about the title of the anthology and um he called me a clout chaser <laughs> um and i'm like where do you get this from it's okay that's why listen i, I, I really felt like you know and i had a conversation with alicia and I was like, Alicia, he called me a cloud chaser. She was like, I saw that IG. Don't go on IG Live talking about it. <laughs> but I was just like, if only this dude knew me, how am I cloud chasing yeah. with this? Yeah. So, like, you don't even know what's behind the the this workshop. For one, it was a project that was proposed by two queer writers and right. the Dominican Writers Platform is supporting it and we're hosting the workshop so that we could put this anthology together. It's not me personally, right. but it's just a, a cohort of queer writers who also include men. So I'm just like... You know what, Angie? And I told you this before, you know, and I have to do also a, a good job of doing that because sometimes I, I don't do so well and I respond... Um, but when you're doing things like what you're doing, you're putting yourself out there, there's going to be people that are going to be hypercritical, sometimes, most of the time, not coming from a good place, because you sense mm -hmm. it when they're not coming from mm -hmm. a good place. Oh, definitely. You just have to have a thick skin, you know, and I'm sure you do, but obviously and then it the makes meditating me wonder, and the therapy helps. And then it makes me wonder, is this why other organizations don't talk to their writers? Yeah. There has to be, a, you know, there has is to be that, a that's line, the boundary. a filter. Because, you know, you can have someone that, that, that works for you and they'll be like, look, this person's problematic. Watch what you're saying. But then person. that's my issue with other platforms that they don't have conversations with these writers. Mm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a fine dance. Yes, exactly. Well, all right. But me, I just need to ignore the BS, stick to running the platform and, you know, I'm quick to say if you want to unfollow us, go ahead. Right. At the end of their eyes on the prize. You know, but there's some people that would just hate certain things and then they still stick with the platform. They still want to receive the newsletters. They still want to be in the groups and the chats. They still want to um, receive information from the page. And I'm just like, hey. So and, and that and that is interesting because then it goes to content, right? Like whether mm -hmm. people agree what you're supporting, what you're putting, you know, the, the authors right. that you're publishing or you're helping to publish. I enjoy radical content coming out of, you know, some of our Latino writers. Uh, this need of pushing the envelope is not yes. something that's new to us. Yes. Um, you know, we come from a country, you I know, agree. like we stated before, that there was con chronic mm -hmm. rebellion onto uh, the iron fist of the dictator Trujillo put a stop to the frequency of it. Um, but... Do you see a lot of pushback as to content from other writers, um, from, you know, within the writers? Like, if you push someone that says, you know what, I'm pro-Obama, 
you know what, that's normally not a problem. If you have a writer, a Dominican writer that says, you know what, I want to talk about conservative principles. One, would you give them the platform? And two, um, how do you handle that when the supporters of DWA are watching and they're like, oh, you're supporting, you're giving this person yeah. a platform, well, you're one, supporting this, pr- that's this person. That's not the type of writing we publish. Oh, okay, so, so you're censoring writing. No, we, um, there's a lot of attention on nonfiction, mm-hmm. um, especially within writing of Dominican writers. When you go to, if you ever meet a Dominican writer in the DR, they're usually a journalist. They're usually a blogger. They're writing food, books about a lot of motivation and self-help mm-hmm. and spiritualism mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and um, politics and whatnot. They're not creative writers. So our platform is for creative mm-hmm. writers in the genre of poetry, fiction, and creative nonfiction. So if you don't fall within any of those categories, we don't publish you. So let's say, but like, let's say if you do a poem, if you do poetry, and... Uh it's not political because even poetry could not be. Yeah, th- that's true. We haven't had any any one submit anything like that because again, also what when we request writing from writers, it's themed. Mm. So we don't have an open call to submit whatever you want. That doesn't happen. Like, um, we do themed. Also, oh, you control the theme, yes. and therefore you control we, yes. the types of we writings do. that are submitted. Okay, correct. We control the theme. Um, we're putting out our second anthology, and it's um, on the theme of Nidia Aquí, Nidia Allá. So, whichever which Say way... Say that five times. Nidia Aquí, Nidia Allá. Nidia Aquí, Nidia Allá. Nidia Aquí, Nidia Allá. It's like the same name, but <laughs> yeah. with different first letters. Yes. So, we um, had 90 writers submit mm. to the anthology, um, and, they, and it was open for them to express how they have experienced that notion of not feeling like they're from here over mm-hmm. there right. and in any which way we had people who expressed it with food people who expressed it with music people who express expressed it with being queer people who expressed it with hair you know and i could tell you there's a few pieces out there that people are going to be like did they really publish that because I am pushing about pushing the envelope, right? And, um, I, and I and I totally and, admire that about you. Because and, I've always I, I've always told you I'm I'm always a big fan of of like making not a big fan, but I've always urged, um, not urged because I'm not you know I'm not I'm not an expert in the field, but I've always wanted to see more diversity mm. in the content being exactly. produced by writers. Yes. You yes. know, so, um, I'm, you know, yes, it's great that so you're doing that. We push the envelope because we want our writers to write about anything and everything. Right, right. Nothing is taboo for us. Right. That's good. Um, we want to hear what our writers and we want to show the world, especially the older generation of Dominican writers who are so uptight right. that our stories matter. Right. And that there's range. And that there's range and there's diversity in our stories. You know, we write about mysticism and magical realism right. and we write in prose and that's foreign to DR. They don't know what prose is, but y'all going to learn about it with Elizabeth Acevedo. Good. You know what? And right? um, I ordered the book from Elizabeth Which Acevedo. Which one? Clap on your land? 
Clap when you land. No. Is let that me, the last one? Let me one know how you feel about that, yeah. You, did you like it? I loved it. Okay, all right. So, um, but even though those are your desires, and those are also my desires, okay. what are, well, you? I think you mentioned that you're only accepting fiction and poetry, poem, poetry and nonfiction, yeah. And creative nonfiction, okay. Mm-hmm. So that answers that question. But what are the narratives that you're hearing most from these Dominican writers? Like, most. Like, yes, you, you may have a writer that's coming to you from the supernatural end. Another one that, you know, has a fetish, not a fetish, but like, he loves pastelitos, right? I think Joselito, you know, some uh, yeah. writer by the name of Joselito, mm-hmm. he's really big on pastelitos. Yeah. I like that, by the way. I'm a huge fan of Fuck is Delicious on, on Netflix uh, with Action Oh, Wilson. yes, yes. The way he poeticizes, mm-hmm. the way he yes. articulates his love for food is the same way I do, the yep. same way I feel, <laughs> you know, seriously. You know, but, um, you know, the way I, I even talk about uh, Tres Golpes, you know, like... Actually, it's cuatro golpes, you know? You got to put in that yeah. watery, buttery mango, right? With yes, the, yes. With the onion mm-hmm. dipped in yes. a little bit of vinegar with yep. a little bit of brown sugar. Yes. I put a little brown sugar, but, you know, I'm I haven't to tried the sugar, but on. just the vinegar. You know, a little fried <laughs> cheese, just Yes, that's raining. my son's breakfast every Saturday. Just with plátano maduros. Yes. yes. Um, you know, the unsalubrious but very tasty salchichon. Mm-hmm. And I like it crispy. Uh, but I do four golpes. Which one you think is the fourth one? Oh, by the way, in the fried egg, obviously, with craters of, like, yeah. liquid, judici- you know, deliciousness. What's of- your fourth quart, Longanisa? Nah. What? Nah. I mean, is it considered a, a golpe as well? Avocado. Oh. Is it? You no. know, the soft, not discolored I don't, I avocado. Don't, I wouldn't consider avocado. Is always my go-to like, yeah. in that meal. But, yeah, but anyway, so, yeah, like, literature like that, like... You know, so we got a lot of poetry, a okay. lot of poetry. Sometimes I have to include our, in our call for submissions, we are not accepting poetry. Mm. <laughs> because I want... To, to write books? I want writers to explore other genres. Like, mm. I started off of poetry, and I think that it's, like, the the best way for you to start writing. You know, mm. short poetry is it's short... Um, you know, it doesn't need to be three pages long. You could have two or three paragraphs. It could be a haiku, right. you know. But um, I want to encourage our writers to write, like, write fiction, write a short story, write flash fiction. You know, flash fiction is two, two, one or two pages of writing. So it's also sharing with our writers the different forms of, the different genres that they could be exploring. Right. So we host workshops in all these different type of genres so that people could get to writing. Right. Yeah. And also to teach them to develop a discipline in writing. You say that you wake up every morning and you're writing your journal, right? Like that's one way to start writing. A lot of people like to set time in the morning, you know, 15 minutes to just do journal writing. And that's a great way for you to create a discipline. Right. Um, People um, are inspired by music and art. Right. Um, I started writing recently again and and it was because I was watching a documentary Mm. and I was like, you know, this should be something clicked in me. And I was like, I, I need to write this down and start doing some research to write this. 
Yeah, I've been, yeah, you know, obviously staying home and watching documentaries and film have also, like, just inspired me to, like, start writing as well, just start putting out the pages. And definitely reading other people's stories. Oh, time. my God. You know what, but even, even, like, in film, like, you know, you and I, we've gone back, I've texted you numerous times, I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, did you catch the last episode right. of, I, of I May Destroy You, right. you know? Right, and And, you know, again, and, you know, Michaela Coel, she's, like, mm-hmm. my creative crush. Mm-hmm. Um, she portrays... You know, in her writing, she portrays the side of the victim, uh, yes. the effects of being drugged and raped, right? She also yeah. shows the side with Super young men. Super triggering show. Super triggering. She also shows the, the side, of, you know, the perspective of the young man that was, yeah. you know, a different young yeah. man mm-hmm. that was falsely accused by a white male classmate. Yes. She shows the complexities of the people, uh, not by gender, but by simple humanity, mm-hmm. right? Because um, she also... Well, you haven't seen the last show, I no, think. No, don't, don't spoil it. Mm. I have not seen the last episode. But in the last episode... <laughs> I'll text you when I watch it. My multifocused perspective that I like from her writing is exhibited. Mm. Because she looks inward and she also sees that she has not been perfect as well. Okay, good. Because she does have some problematic behaviors. Oh, yeah, and it comes... <laughs> and, and most of it, you know, some of it has uh, dealt with, you know, how she's... Done certain things to her friends. Her coping mechanisms are real problematic. Real problematic. Also, the people that she loves, Mm -hmm. uh, that um, she comes to terms with the fact that they're very flawed. Yeah. And that helps her with her perspective and seeing things um, for what they are, but also, like, not drawing this thin line between good and evil. Isn't it amazing that she hasn't gone to therapy? She's never... Oh, no! Oh, you missed the last episode! I'm sorry! Damn it, I spoiled it for myself. What is about Keep time? asking questions. That's what happens. <laughs> so she went to a therapist, and that's when shit changed. Okay, good. Because the, she needed to go to therapy a long time ago. The and therapist it, was like, yo, you need to look at yourself. It took her a long time to get there. She did a lot of shit before she got into therapy. Okay? Yep, yep, All right. Yep, I, spoil, I spoil that for one. That's on me. This multi-focused writing is something that I look forward to, especially when it comes to writers of color. You know... I want to know where are all my campesino authors writing about bathing in nature, right? Farming or, um, you know, the other day, again, I look to books sometimes to like provide me information. Who has written about campo stories? And I think the closest one is Clap on Your Land. Really? She writes about campo stories? She, she, not so much, but you could tell that she's in a campo. Mm. You know, listen, honestly, Angie, I want to learn about trees. You know, I want to learn about... We have a lot of folklores in in our Dominican um, culture. Damn, you just took me back from my time, you know. Up until I was three years old, I was living in a campo in Puerto Plata. Mm. And I remember all the things that I was doing. I remember being three years old and going to the Rio... And and picking out shrimp from the rio mm. and helping my my aunt carry water in a bucket above her head and playing in the dirt. I remember the stories of my grandmother telling me that cuco and me hiding under the bed whenever um, me jumping over barbed wires because I peed on the bed and mm. I knew that there was this man who was coming around with a black garbage bag that my grandmother was saying was filled with little kids who had peed in their bed. Right? So that was like... So I remember all these things. Right. And sometimes I'm like, wow, I was three. 
but I still remember all these things. I remember when I came to the U.S. I remember meeting my brothers at that age. Right. Yeah. So, which is which is rare because a lot of people don't remember um, toddlerhood like that. Right. Yeah. Just just yesterday, you know, I um, I sat down and as I was talking about public speaking to my friend, I told him that I remembered when I was young. And um, I had a, a stuttering problem when I was like maybe three or four years old. And I remember having wires connected to me because they were trying to like analyze my brain waves. Wow. Where and did the stuttering come from? Was it traumatic? No, they said it came from the fact that I had a thought that opened up into five different thoughts all at once. And I, it was hard for me to land at a thought mm. because I was so busy trying to decide which thought to go with first. Wow, I wonder what that's called. Yeah, so there was like a lot of you brain You should activity. Google that and let me know what it's called. Yeah, for it sounds, sure. It for sounds sure. interesting. For sure. So it cured you? The, the oh, yeah, you know, they, they told me to focus on uh, breathing. Um, also... How old were you? I was like maybe three or four. And you were breathe, doing breathing exercises at yeah, that they had me doing breathing exercises. Obviously, I forgot a lot. So sometimes I would be in certain situations where I would stutter. Um, and it was all due to anxiety. Mm, and again, my yeah. mother my mother is also a very anxious person, though she doesn't stutter. But yeah, that's why I'm asking you. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm it, has sure it has something has to deal with the fact that I was being raised by a widow. Mm. who had enormous pressure on her, um, and um, my lack of coping mechanisms for that anxiety. So I yeah, had to those, learn those that. stressors manifest themselves in physical, yeah, in a physical manner. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So I had to like really focus on my breathing, focus on, on what I wanted to say, deciding on what I wanted to say before I said it, um, and that was an exercise for me. And it wasn't, and there were... Some kids go mute. Really? Hmm. And for a while... I think and they don't speak for years. Honestly, I think that uh, motivated me to be, or that encouraged me more to be a lover of words. Mm. Because there were always words that escaped me that I didn't get to say. So I would write down what I wanted that thought to be that I wasn't able to articulate at the time. Because at least I still wanted to own that. You know, right. in some weird way, um, you know, so whenever I go hiking, I still deal with like, OK, like I'm not able to articulate this experience, you know, like for me, it's still embarrassing. Like if I go on a five hour hike throughout the wilderness and I come back and not be able to describe to you what I saw. OK, it's not an issue of stuttering. Yeah. You know, I can actually tell you if I had. Uh, you just have a difficult time connecting the thoughts. Well, no. At this point, it becomes description. It's okay. my lack of exposure to the actual, to to any literature dealing with nature. Got so it. right now, I'm trying to describe with you know. Right now, I'm trying to describe to you my experience in the wilderness with like the limited vocabulary of a two year old. Right. Okay. So that's why it's important for me to read. Um, other people's experiences that I may not have on my own, 
You know, books to me. And again, reading is, is way, fundamental. Reading is fundamental, <laughs> and I want to see more readers. Actually, obviously, there's there's many you know there's writers that are not Latino that actually you know write about nature, but I would like mm-hmm. to see it from the Latino perspective as well. Maybe they are you know. So if you find out of someone that yeah, writes a book about seen, bathing in nature, please. Uh, I haven't seen. Share that with me. Many. You know. No. An author that that articulates nature the same way. Camilo Sesto articulates love, you know, mm-hmm. someone that just really takes the language yeah. and like makes it, you know, poignant. I just, I just want to read literature like that. We should um, write that story. Right. From scratch. <laughs> entry level. From entry level. You got to start somewhere. Yeah. You know, about, you know, astronomy. You mentioned that, you know, there's writers, there's writers that uh, write about yeah. astronomy. Um, the gay experience. Um, I haven't read too many uh novels from and that's probably then you that's should probably read, my then fault you should for read, not looking um, for that. conversación con prostituto okay by rio diaz okay you know um i read a really good book by uh, um darnell moore ashes to fire oh uh, i fell in love with that guy he, when i met him he read he I, really shed some light as he, a he debuted his book at word up um, and Cleaver really? invited me. Oh yeah, I think they're friends. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. they're yeah friends. I, I and I was like, Who friend. is this guy? <laughs> super cool, super chill dude. Yes, yes, wonderful yeah. person and um, super talented. He was his book is telling amazing. his story, and I was like, oh my god. Listen, as a black gay man, you know, he advocated, you know, advocating uh, anti-colonialism, anti, uh, you know, a- advocating for anti-racism. Uh, against male toxicity um, but also shedding light on the gay experience for me as a mm-hmm. as a heterosexual man like I found the, the story interesting and um, and I feel that I became a better person as a result of like understanding that experience yeah. so you know I just I just want to keep seeing I want to keep more exposing stories, myself yeah. to more stories why I feel that um, I want to I want to learn more through my books, and it's because of my constant search of wanting to be a, a writer, a more a well-informed person overall. You oh, know? okay. A more informed person, but so do you think you're providing? And I think you answered this already, but do you think that you're providing space for voices that you do not agree with? I believe so. I believe I have some biases, but I I still um, include those voices. And also, I'm learning. It's also a learning process for me because there's, you know, we grow up with certain beliefs mm-hmm. um, that other people would challenge. Right. And just because we disagree on something doesn't mean that I shouldn't support you right i mean it depends on how i support you but like at least have a conversation with right you. right um of course it definitely depends on what it is that you're that you're saying or writing but um i'm thinking pretty open we haven't had anything that i that i would say oh absolutely not mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know not at all not because some people think that you're supporting them just by giving them a platform right that, that you agree with their views like 
I've, you know, I've heard it from some of my friends when, when I had, uh, you know, my friend, my good friend and fraternity brother, Sergeant De La Mota come on and they're like, oh, like you have a cop, you know, police officer in a podcast, why are you doing it? Like, you know, especially in light of the circumstances. And I'm like, no, mm-hmm. like we're having a conversation. Yeah. Well, and a lot of our writers don't share their personal views about anything. I don't know mm-hmm. them personally like that for them to share Unless you're like a friend of mine and I'm publishing you or or right. whatever and I've spent some a good amount of time with you, they usually don't share that right. um, and it hasn't manifested in their writings um, as of yet because again, remember a lot of these people they're submitting poetry, but the poetry is is more social justice based mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right um it's also um, body image based as well, identity based. Um, we don't get anything about political views or religious views or not as of yet. Okay. But like, what do you think or how do you think DWA is going to handle that if you were to ever be in a situation like that? It depends on what it is, Charlie. Right. For example... This is this is a you know I actually thought about this right now. Candace Owens, mm-hmm. you know Candace Owens yes. is you know super conservative, mm-hmm. you know Republican mm-hmm. writer, black Republican yeah. writer. Um, I don't agree with her at all. Yeah, not, you know, neither do I. <laughs> I think she's smart. I think she deserves her space, mm-hmm. but I think she's misinformed. Some people need to exist, and that's okay. <laughs> and that's okay. And I'm sure she's figuring it out, right? Uh, maybe I'm too forgiving. Maybe it's, I'm not considering it's, it's, it's the effects a lesson. of her influence. Just like Trump is a lesson for us. Right. These certain people need to exist so that we understand right. <laughs> how not to behave and and differentiate wrong from right. Or so, but like, would you give her a platform? If, if Candace Owens right now says, if she was Dominican, and she was to say, no, I wouldn't because I I, I disagree with her views. Mm. Yeah. I would not. Interesting. So, where I'm If at, you were an informed person... Well, she probably thinks she's informed. And then, yeah, the, and then the question no. is, the question is, like, who has a monopoly on information, right? That That is true as well. That is true as well. But thank... <laughs> Boy, that is a difficult... That's, that's a difficult decision to make. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think... I don't think that I will give him space for that. Really? So, like... I mean, also, and I'm also the type of person that if if I don't get good energy from you, you're not getting space from me. There's just something... Okay, so let's make it easy. You know, like... Obviously, you work with people that you like, right? Mm-hmm. But there's, you know, I'm sure you have people that you don't, I mean, that you like, but don't have similar views. Like, right. I just had a full-blown conversation with a good friend. Mm-hmm. With a good friend and, you know, whatever. Like, he, you know, we're not politically aligned. Yeah. Um, and I brought up something that I saw, and he was in, in complete support of of the caste system, mm. the social caste system. Wow. He believes that people, some people are supposed to be rich, mm-hmm. under, you know, the business owners. Some people are supposed to be doing yeah. the menial work, mm-hmm. and that that shouldn't change. Right. Right? Again, whenever we have that conversation, you know... Um, it can get a bit tricky, mm-hmm. but we like each other as individuals. Right. You know, so 
If you're in a situation like that. Yeah, I mean, I agree to disagree with people. Okay, all right. That's what I'm saying. Like, we're separating the fact that... But for you, but for me to give you space to spread misinformation, that's a whole other... <laughs> ah, but the thing is this, the thing is this. Let's say, let's say, right, right, you're right. Because it's different. If it's it, different, it's were, different because you're allowing yeah. her book or her information to sell based off the exposure of your platform. Right. You are right. I guess it's different where, in my position, you know, um, I would really make myself fully prepared before I sit down with the Candace Owens because I know the conversation yeah. is yeah. going to get hot and heavy. Yes. Um, but I would give her the platform to come in and talk to me about the things that she believes. Right. Um, and maybe it's the inner... Because you're about rap. hosting that conversation. Right. right. And it's going to be a difficult conversation. Oh, de definitely. And I'm probably going to have to see my therapist weekly. <laughs> yes. Because I'm not seeing my therapist weekly. Now mm -hmm. I'm seeing her. I'm doing better. Mm -hmm. But, you know, but yes, like this is, you know, I guess that's where I'm at in my development in wanting because before I was so quick to like shun people that I told that totally I think me. we should listen to everyone the good the bad and make our own informed decision if there's something that we don't understand or something that we disagree with I'll look it up I'm, I'm curious about tons of things and if there's certainly something that I'm not informed about I'm gonna go research it and figure out what what are they talking about mm -hmm. what is the debate here right. and inform myself and from there I decide whether I'm gonna disagree with you or not but um yeah in terms of giving someone a platform to share misinformation no I'm I'm very let's say if you were I'm very logic based you need to come to me with evidence so if you, were, if you were in my position, right, and Candace Owens wants to sit down with you. Yeah, let's talk about it. Okay. Right. <laughs> but obviously it's different when you're doing it as a yeah. DW writers, given they're the platform tag. It's, it's it. almost the same thing as me sitting on a panel with people who have different views. N not everyone is going to agree with you. Right. You're going to speak from your own perspective and from your belief system right. and your experiences. But not everyone is going to share that. Right. I mean, I could sit down and, and talk to you about it. I'm definitely curious to learn more about why you feel that way. And, you know, but um, but yeah, giving her a, a platform, a platform to share. I, I couldn't. I feel like I'd be doing a disservice to a disservice to the community. To, yeah, so, you know, I'm community. sure you have a, you know, Meta's uh, mission statement, right? Yes, we do. You know, and the mission is probably to uplift Dominican writers. Exactly. Or, and you may not feel, you know, obviously... It's your mission, so you decide mm -hmm. whether uh, it violates the mission or not. My mission right? is not thing. to make you dumber. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. It's to share information. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Oh, but as far as sharing information, and, and this is going to be my last question as far as, because um, I'm interested to, to hear what you have to say about it. Um, do you think cancel culture um, has affected the writing from some people in some way what do you mean um, have, do you think that people are you know scared to write about you know whether it's like I own a business in China and you know no I'm gonna get I'm gonna get my hookahs from China I'm not gonna get them from the US mm -hmm. and then there's gonna be people that's gonna say well you know what he gets it from the U. He gets it from China. He's not American. 
forget him. He doesn't love his country. Let's cancel him. I think the him. cancel culture is very problematic. Mm-hmm. It doesn't allow space for um, conversation, for restorative justice. Right. Um, it doesn't allow people room for growth. It's sort of like we erase you from history and then we move on. So what's the solution to the problem? Right. Right? It doesn't mean that the problem goes away. The person went away, but the problem is still there. Yeah. So how do you... You should have been a criminal defense attorney. How That's do you my handle same logic. That? That's my same logic. How like, do you handle... Well, uh, Charlie, I did go to John Jay and study forensic psych. That, that's my BA. <laughs> you know, I had law and right. psych at the same time mm-hmm. for my um, undergrad. So but, you know um, what it is. You know how it is to look at it through a holistic... Exactly. Also, if so, you're trying so, yeah. to, you know, you know, like you said, like if you're trying to... If there's an aim and the aim is to dismantle or stop that type of behavior... Mm-hmm. You address it head on. Right. You don't just like... Exactly. Sending them so away sometimes when I share purgatory. when I share my opinion, people just look at me and, and be like, how could you say that? I'm like, but there's another side to the story. Right. You know, there's a history behind this person or a history behind that person. It's not black and white. It doesn't happen. You know, we... Our, our actions, you know, the decisions we make, that... That that comes from so many things. Mm-hmm. People are complicated. Are yes. And and no and no gender has a monopoly on the truth, right? Like yes. people are complicated. Whether you're a man or a woman, uh, you know, people, you know, whether you're an American or you're an immigrant, uh, people can have motives to lie. People can have real uh, truth that they need to yes. that that they need to say and they need to feel empowered to say. Yeah. You know, it's just again that's why I'm a big fan of. Uh, Michaela Cole, she yeah. shows how all of these universes exist, right? Which is why you yeah. can't, uh, you know, you can't just have a custom tailored or, uh, you know, a general response to each individual incident. Um, it could be different. We have people who get stuck in the, again, of, of the anger and in the anger and they don't allow space for healing like mm-hmm. you mentioned before right. for growth and for the assailant or the victim to move on in a healthy manner right yeah because again that whatever that assailant did they could grow from it they could change that moment could have been a eye-opening moment for them right. that you know when people hit bottom like they that could have been their bottom yep. when they realize oh shit like I really need to change this behavior yeah I really need to do something about this but a society us black and brown folks I don't think we're not there yet uh, we're not there yet but we definitely we're having the conversations Right. And it's important that we continue to have these conversations because it's possible. I've seen people change that I thought would never, ever change, but who have grown, who have mature and are have done a 360. Right. And it's difficult to to believe in that if you don't see it for yourself. Of course. But then again, how are you going to see it for yourself if you don't give that person a chance? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a difficult. Again, you know, it, it involves both people doing the work. Yeah. Um, and it involves you checking yourself 
Pastor Light, what is it that you want to accomplish? Mm -hmm. Do you want to stop this behavior? Exactly. Or do you just want to yes, hurt this person? Yeah. You want to hurt oh. this person, get them socially lynched, mm -hmm. or you want to stop the behavior? Yeah. And I'm all about stopping Majority the of the time they come back, Charlie. And then what? Or they move on to an, another place. And then what? So, yeah, you yeah, just so move them yeah. to another state. Yeah, but he, he, he left with the problem. So right. he's going to go to that state and do the same thing. Right. Because we didn't correct anything. We just said, you're not welcome here. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So, you know, there's a lot of work to be done on, on both ends. But, Definitely. you know, we're about to wrap up because I know you got to get home. But uh, before we leave, let me ask you this. What are the common mistakes that you see uh, that writers make, especially young writers? Besides not editing their work. Okay, that's number <laughs> one, right? Because that, that has been a consistent Besides pattern. Besides being bold as hell um, with, with thinking that their writing is up to par with well-known writers who have taken the time to work on their craft. Mm. Some writers start writing today and they feel like, yo, you got to publish me. Interesting. And, yeah. and, and they feel that they shouldn't sign up for writing workshops, that they shouldn't be studying the craft, that they shouldn't be doing any of that. Listen, the writing workshop is the most humbling situation, but the most eye-opening and we offer all levels we offer free writing workshops we offer professional writing workshops all kinds of, of master level workshops for the serious writer who's like ready to work on a manuscript all kinds of workshops i was wondering whether there was too much focus on academia guidance well we don't do academic guidance academia is a whole different research papers we don't do that Okay. Well, I mean, okay, so let me rephrase that. Not not academic guidance, but more uh, young writers are saying, you know what? I need to go to get my master's for creative writing from Columbia University well, no, you or don't. all that. No, you don't. And then they spend you so much time. You get your MFA if, you're in, if, you, if your interest is teaching. Right. Just like you get your PhD if your interest is research. Mm -hmm. I never got my PhD because I had no interest in research. I've worked in research for 16 years. I hate it. Right. Meaning that side of, you know, um, I respect the, the, the field, but I would never spend my, my career doing research. So I didn't get my PhD. It's the same thing with an MFA. Um, a lot of people won't hire you for a teaching artist position if you don't have MFA. So. But, but how, about, how about publishers? Do they look to see if you have an MFA? No. Okay, they don't look to see. No. Do they look to see if you have a college education? No. Really? They look at your story. Mm. Is it marketable? Is it going to sell? Is it going to make, make me money? Right. They look at the life that you live. Some yeah. people want to go to school so that they can be able to learn how to write a book. And some people are living a life yeah, well, that the, allows them to write a book. But there's so many ways. Like I said, there's, there's certificate programs. There's um, organizations like ours who, f who offer free workshops or, or affordable workshops. You don't need to go to college for that. You know, and our workshops aren't offered by just anybody off the street. These are people who are published and who have been doing the work for years. Right. Right. So you don't need to look. You just need to have a good story, a polished story, mm -hmm. an edited story to get it published. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you don't need to be a professional writer. You don't need to, you know, Elizabeth Velasquez. I don't know if you follow her. She she talks about she only has a GD all the time. But Elizabeth has a book deal. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so those... she's a clear example of some of someone who who doesn't have a college degree, who isn't you know rich or anything like that. But she, Elizabeth has studied her craft. If right. you spend time on her Instagram account, you will see how much time she devotes to studying her craft, and she shares this with her audience. Right, and writers also should not rely too much on academia. Uh, to inform them, to give them a better perspective, because I think that academia no. itself, uh, you know, doesn't teach you enough about reimagination of society, of, no. of the black feminists, of the anti-policing perspective. Like you, know, oh, you yeah. have to, you, <laughs> like, you have to dig that out on your yep. own. Um, you need to do that work on your own. So, as we're about to wrap up, we can't leave here without knowing. The books that shaped your life, right? And I know there's probably many, but if you can give me mm. one or two. Um, of a fiction Dominican writer book that I would mention first would be Soledad by Angie Cruz. Mm. Um, Why is that? Um, I identified a lot with Soledad and her relationship with her mother. Um, I identified uh, with Soledad as being um, the first person in my family to go away to co- to go to college um and the neighborhood that the novel is based in was the neighborhood that I grew up in so there was a lot of things that I I felt like so that was like my next door neighbor my you know mm-hmm. my girl um that book did a lot for me um I mentioned also Eckhart Tolle's The New Earth mm-hmm. um I don't read a lot of self-help book. I think that was probably... Um, I, I've read a lot of Iyana Van Sant and um, Eckhart Tolle. But, did, um, did you ever um, read and finish? Because, you know, you have to say those two things. Read and finish. Mm-hmm. A lot of people read. A lot of people don't finish. Yeah, uh, that's correct. 1,000 Years of Solitude. Absolutely not. <laughs> no meaning you read it or you, but you didn't finish it? 100 Years of Solitude? 100 Years of Solitude. Gabriel Garcia Marquez? Yes. I hated that book. Yo, dude. I could never... And mind you... That's like a masterpiece. Mind you, I've read all of Pablo Pablo Coelho's books. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've I've loved them. But when it came to that book with Gabriel Garcia Marquez, I couldn't get through it. It was like a whole run-on sentence for a whole page. I was telling JP that. Right. I I couldn't. couldn't I could not. And um, I've had a lot of older generation Dominican writers tell me that if I've never read that book, then I shouldn't consider myself a writer. Stop and I'm it. like, that is very elitist of you oh, to say. Oh, my God. And I'm like, you know what? People like different genres. That is just not the book for me. I don't know. It, you know I, I couldn't appreciate it. To this day, I cannot pick up that book and read it. Elitism is something that, that plagues all cultures, but mm-hmm. it's highly triggering when it comes from yeah. Dominicans. To yeah. me, it is. I couldn't. I couldn't get through that book. Right. So. Right. Okay. You know, for me, there all. was there was a, a book that really changed the access, right? F- you know, if you will, of, of, of my of my life. Um, it was a Victor Frankel, uh, mm-hmm. Man's Search for Meaning. Mm. Oh man, that book! I read it when I was a college graduate. Um, I wanted to go to law school, but I wasn't in law school at the time. 
Um, I was at an entry-level job, right? Um, feeling existential as hell. Just came out of a relationship. Uh, it seemed like the gray clouds. Yeah, leave it up to an, a relationship to feel, listen, make you feel existential. Listen, listen. And, you know, it, it just, you know, gray clouds seemed to follow me everywhere. And um, and this book was a blessing. This, the author was a prisoner in um, a Nazi concentration camp during World War II. And uh, he was a psychotherapist and described his therapeutic method um, as a way of of helping people find purpose, right? Because many prisoners uh, died, obviously, because of torture Mm -hmm. and other atrocious acts. But in the book, he mentioned that they died uh, due to illness, hunger, or um, depression because they simply gave up in life. Right. And, and, you know, it, it was interesting because his therapy just involved helping prisoners find purpose in their lives, and that drove them to stay alive, right? So he saved many lives as a result of that. Um, Is there a book that you have read repeatedly? That's a good question. A book that I've read repeatedly? Once or twice. Uh, Two or three times, maybe. uh, I would say Celestine Prophecy. Mm. Celestine Prophecy is one of my favorite books, um, and I picked it up. I mean, I'm a Jay-Z fan, and uh, he was doing an interview on Center Stage, and um, I forget the name of the of the host, but he asked Jay-Z, um, oh, like, do you have a favorite book? And without blinking, he said, yeah, I do. Jay-Z, influencing the hood. And he Go said, pick up a book. <laughs> listen, and he said, without blinking, he said, Celestine Prophecy. So as a yeah. fan of Jay, you know, um, I was like, you know what, let me, let me pick up the book, right? And it was an interesting book because, you know, as we talk a lot about energy, um, it helped me be hyper aware of how I felt when uh, doing a specific task, when um, having a specific conversation or engaging with a specific person. Mm. That okay. is like half the battle of stepping away from like drama in your life. Got it. Once you're able to detect your energy levels, mm-hmm in accordance to the proximity of whatever object or yeah. person or discussion is being had, dude, it changed my life. Walk away. It changed my life. Uh, James Baldwin, yeah. the fire next time, mm-hmm. his prose, you know, his anger, right? Uh, his uh, audacity to unleash without giving two shits about who he offended. Like, I fucks with James Baldwin. Um, yeah. Another book that I, that I read repeatedly... Um, Alan Watts, and it's called The Book. What's it about? It's about, um, I remember it, I don't, I can't tell you, you know, was that famous quote? A lot of people don't, a lot of people don't remember what you said to them is how you made them feel or something Mm, like that. Yeah. Um, It really made me feel that I should take myself a lot more lightly. Um, And there were two quotes that really stuck out to me. Uh, it was, uh, a scholar tries to learn something every day, but a student of Buddhism tries to unlearn something daily. Yeah. And, um... That should be the Dominican proverb. You know, and... Uh, unlearn uh, something daily. <laughs> let me see if I can... And, um, and another book, and this is my last book, because, you know, there's a couple of books I've realized now as, as we're talking, but it's getting super late. I think we've been here for about... <laughs> Three hours, four hours, and I know yes. you have to go to work tomorrow. Oh, my God. Look at the time. Dude, don't worry about it. I got you. <laughs> oh, my God. 
I'm gonna have to feed you. Are you hungry? <laughs> no, you can get something to eat about, after this. I'm okay. Um, all about love. I've read that book twice. Oh yeah. Bell yes. Hooks. Yes. I swear, this woman speaks to me in a Jill Scott voice, and you know I love Jill Scott. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I swear she taught me how to be loved, like Jill Scott. Like, you know, first of all, Jill Scott's first album was a yeah, classic. I love Jill Scott. You know, you know how it goes. Let's take. Let's take a I long walk around the park. I don't repeat books too often. Um, I did repeat um, Angie Cruz and some of Julia Alvarez's book, but there's always one book that um, that really touched me. And <laughs> I guess because I'm a hopeless romantic, and it was um, "The End of the Affair" by Graham Greene. Mm. The end of the affair. Mm-hmm. So I think it was about the end of an affair. Yeah, but it was what caught me was the manner in which this man loved the woman that he was having an affair with, mm. and the way he expressed it throughout the throughout the story was so rich. Interesting. I mean, I don't know but it was interesting and it was good writing. Yeah, and it was the way it was written. I was like, when I want to get that feeling of like, ah. Oh. I'll go back to that book. Okay, so as far as good writing, um, I think I told you about Jandy Nelson's I'll Give You the Sun. That's a really mm-hmm. good book. Um, and let me see what else I have here. You know, Sapiens, I just yeah. finished that book. Really good book. I'm familiar with it. Uh, makes you question everything that you've ever been told. Um, yeah, it's just God bless literature. Yes. So, all right, we have to start wrapping up. We could sit here and talk about books all day. Dude. We can do that, but <laughs> you have to work tomorrow. Um, but before you leave, just to get a little bit, you know, I do this little exercise with everyone that comes in for a podcast. Okay. And it doesn't have to be 12. It could just be, just give me a few, you know. So if you're facing life's most important decisions, right, and you had an opportunity to consult with anyone, uh, living or dead, who would they be and why? You can share a characteristic about them that you like to emulate or tap into uh, when choosing this person, which you oh would consider God. a spiritual advisor, if at all. Who would that be? That's a really hard question. I'd probably be the only one, the first person who not answers that question. Really? Like, can I give you some examples of mine? Uh, my example, like for example, one ahead. of my spiritual advisors, Nelson Mandela. Because of the patience that he exhibited during his time in prison. And he was still writing, um, you know, uh, a lot and, and still motivated by the cause. Um, we spoke about Stevie Wonder. Um, yeah. We spoke about Juan Luis Guerra. You know, Obama for his... Oh, my. Well, I think one of them would be Michelle Obama. Okay. Uh, Why Michelle Obama? Um... She just has a, a grace about her, um, and she deals with everything so in such a dignified manner. Mm. Um, I don't think she has Cardi moments, <laughs> Cardi B moments. Um, hmm. Anyone else? Like, who drove you to write, to start writing? I don't know, you know, I started writing at 12 and it was something that came out of me on my own. Um, I was a huge bachata um, 
bachata fan. Okay. So let's let's put, let's put Monchi and, and Alejandra. Monchi and Alejandra. Why Monchi <laughs> and, and Alejandra? Spiritual advisors. Were they were they, were they, uh, they dancing, that, singing that, to women empowerment? Yeah, they had that relationship. Um, I don't want to leave you type. You know, mm. I, I, type of relationship. I love you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna put Monchi Alejandra right there. Okay, all right. So for those reasons, because <laughs> I gotta have a, a bachata duo as right. spiritual advisors. Um, right. oh wow, who else? I would definitely add my mom. Okay, why your mom? Because my mom is a wise person. Okay, for her wisdom. Um, for her wisdom. Um, who else? I don't think I'd be looking up to people too much. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Now that I think about it, I'm like, I don't think there's that many people that I'm like... Is it is it because you look at people as just people? Or is yeah, it because... I, I just think people are just regular people. Mm. Um, even though they might have a certain celebrity status or, or fame or whatnot, I just think they're regular folks. Um... Interesting. That's okay. That makes sense. Yeah, is me thinking about it, I'm like, do I? Who do I be looking up to? Like, definitely Josefina Baez, because um, mm. Josefina is does what she wants, when she wants, how mm -hmm. she wants, and she mm -hmm. doesn't care about what um, anyone thinks about it. Right, right. Um, she doesn't fall into that whole. This is how you write. This is how you should write. This is the only way that, that you should be expressing yourself. Like, this is the first time that you'll see, that I've seen a Dominican writer write a fotonovela, like mm -hmm. Carmen. Yeah. Um, there isn't even a Dominican writer who has done a graphic novel yet. Right. Um, this is the first one. Okay. So. Cool. Um, to me, that's always been admirable. That she, ella no se deja de nadie. Okay, okay. So, you know, you gave me a couple. And Mama Tingo, because she was fierce as hell. Mama Tingo. She was the campesina who um, fought for her, um, for the rights of the campesinos in the in, in the DR. Okay, okay. Um, and she was una, una, una mujer con machete, like, That's come at son. me. That's your spirit animal. Yeah. There gotcha, gotcha. Okay. But yeah, you know what? Before before you leave, uh, I'm gonna read you a piece I wrote. I don't even have a name for it. You gonna put it on the podcast? Why not? <laughs> Let's see if I put it on the podcast. Oh shit. It's called it's called Smart, but S-M-A-R-T. Mm-hmm. The problem, or should I say the blessing? It has always been beyond the simple aesthetic pleasures. Can it teach me the history in history or acknowledge the cult in culture? Will it teach me to study my nightmares, to find my dreams, or to seek enlightenment in elongated tunnels of darkness? Will it teach me patience in urgent times or understanding in the midst of sensationalist influence? Will it teach me to think in color, exploring endless dimensions of tolerance, or to think in black and white, to remain grounded in clarity and function? Mm. 
Will it free me from me without losing sight of me or limit me to what I already know? I just need a second or two to find that beauty within that beauty, as ugly as it may be. Did I get a book deal? Wow, that's the first time okay. I heard you. I heard anything you've written. Hey. This is wonderful. El tigre mete mano. Now, write 30 more of those <laughs> and we can put it in a book. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Stop it with your poems already. Or if you want a chat book, we could do 10 pieces and you're good to go. <laughs> yes, Angie, again, thank you for being a vessel for progress in our community. I hope to have you back soon. I'm sorry for having you here for <laughs> X amount of hours, but I'll make sure that you get back home safely. And, um, and yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Charlie. It's been a pleasure. No problem. Peace.